have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. Don't be a victim. 
survive whatever this administration is going to throw at you and avoid the government food lines. So once again, go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and be prepared. All right, and welcome back, excuse me, to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, and now back up on YouTube. Go to, go when you go to YouTube, just key in the word Southern and the word Sense, Southern Sense, and my smiling face will pop up back once again. There's no subscribers on there just yet, so pop on over, become a subscriber, and help me get the uh, YouTube channel back up and running and in full gear again. But we're back on YouTube. Yay. Uh, also, Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, half a dozen other places. Just go to the radio show. Click on uh, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the Radio Chickadee, Eddie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Courageous Bennett. <laughs> Welcome back, Curtis. want to say hi to everyone that is now going over to Facebook page uh, for Southern Sense, the new YouTube page for Southern Sense. Also, our page, we have the video going up over there uh, for southern-sense.com, and those that are listening here on the chat room in Blog Talk Radio. All one breath. How'd that go? <laughs> Without messing up oh, bed. great, great. Um, you you got the pipes. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, well, we got ourselves a great, great uh, lineup. <clears throat> We're starting off with former Florida Lieutenant Governor Jennifer Carroll. She'll be joining us. Uh, Jerome Corsi has a brand new book out. The Truth About Energy, Global Warming, and Climate Change, Exposing Climate Lies in an Age of Disinformation. Boy, that is a mouthful. <clears throat> then we have, uh, yeah, uh, retired U.S. Navy Commander Demetrius Andrew Grimes. He's running for the new congressional seat just formed in Florida, District 15. Uh, Alan Chasen, um, he was uh, a contractor uh over in Afghanistan, and he with another gentleman are writing um, about the Pony Express that was going on that was getting supplies and mail back and forth to the troops over there. Uh, It's called Postcards Through Hell. Uh, That should be coming out, I believe, this fall. And we're going to end the show with my one, my only, my true favorite from the Heritage Foundation, Hans von Spakulski. I just love saying his name. (laughs) And uh, they've got some new truth about the 2020 elections and all the shenanigans that are just starting to come to the surface. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Of course, it's not going to undo the election. Joe Biden still will be president. But let's be prepared for the 2022 and 2024 because they're going to try to pull something again. You know it. I know it, Curtis. Yeah. Like we were talking um, before the show started. I found the article about the uh, congressional baseball game, and um, Republicans did win 10-0, and one of the Democrat members had the nerve to to give the Republicans the the middle finger, you know. I tell you, (laughs) such sportsmanship. Such class. Such class. Such class, yeah. Yeah. Out the window. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I guess that's a forerunner of things to come. It doesn't look too yeah. good for them. And Joe is still oh. out there denying that we're in a recession. 
Oh, they've redefined the word inflation and recession. So instead of doing anything to fix it, what else would they do but redefine the word? So we're not in inflation according to their definition. We're not heading into a recession according to their new definition. Just like what is a woman, a new definition. Oh, give me a freaking break. <laughs> Yeah. Can you imagine if the tables were turned and Trump was in office and that report came out on, you know, about his economy with the Democrats say, hey, Trump, don't listen to that report. Heck no. Yeah. They'd be writing stories day in and day out about it. This oh, guy's yeah. running the company to the ground. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 And uh, as Doc mentions in the um, in the chat room here that. You mentioned Trump at his golf course in New Jersey. They're starting the first round of the uh, Live uh, Golf Tournament. Uh, he's catching a lot of flack there because it's a Saudi-sponsored uh, tournament uh, that has a lot of high-rolling, high players in the former P- former PGA players, I should say, p- former PGA champs uh, like Phil Nicholson, uh, uh, Dave Love, and you you name it, they're there. Uh, it's big money. And it's a big industry. But now you have some of the families of the uh, 9-11 victims that are protesting. Uh, yeah, but look at the PGA, who has, I believe it's 23 different sponsors that have big investments in Saudi Arabia. Starbucks, um, uh, Uber. Uh, I mean, they had a list of them up on Newsmax Um uh, Disney, all these woke companies have huge, huge investments in Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia has huge investments in these companies. So these are all PGA sponsors. So wh- what's wrong here? The hypocrisy that we're seeing in the battle between the PGA and the LIV is, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, they have no change. I mean, yeah. No shame in anything. Uh, yeah, are, are there human rights, you know, issues here in Saudi Arabia? Well, they're working on it. I can admit that. Am I thrilled about the, the human rights violations? No. But we don't ask any other co- country to meddle in our country. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's, uh, wait a minute. With this administration, Joe Biden, I'll take that back. But. Our normal position is, you know, that's your country. You do what you want there. This is our country. Leave us the frig alone. Anyway, that said, um, I want to mention there is a major disaster happening in um, Kentucky. I believe it's the North Fork River that has crested at 43 going on to 44 feet, uh, historic uh, cresting. And so far... 16 people have died. The vast majority of them have been children and the elderly. And rescues are still going on. And they're expecting even more rain today and tomorrow. So, folks, please say a prayer for them out in Kentucky and do something a little bit more. Um, Go and make a donation to the Salvation Army, the Red Cross, um, Samaritan's Purse, because uh, you know they're going to be the boots on the ground to help these people that are, are lost their homes, lost their businesses, lost family members. Uh, so let's get ready to pitch in and help these people out here. Let's start the help here at home for people that really, truly need it. 
That said, um, we'll go on from here, Curtis, because I'm watching the clock. <clears throat> and anyone that watches the show or listens to the show knows that we start off each and every one with a dedication to a fallen hero. And unfortunately for this hero, there is not a lot written. And that is a shame because she put her life on the line to save others. Today's dedication is going to go out to Sergeant Barbara Majors Fenley of the Eastland County Sheriff's Office in Texas. Her end of watch was Thursday, March 17, 2022, just a matter of a few days before her birthday. And this is from, um, okay, I'm looking for the Texas Bee, and it's written by James Munoz in CrossroadToday.com. Um, it's titled, Longtime Deputy with Eastland County Sheriff's Office Dies in the Line of Duty. And he writes, the Eastland County Sheriff's Office is mourning the loss of Sergeant Barbara Majors Fenley. She died Thursday, March 17th, after multiple fires erupted across Eastland County. One of the fires crossed into Carbon, Texas, where law enforcement officers helped with traffic and evacuations. At last report, Sergeant Fenley was going to check on an elderly person. At some point, Sergeant Fenley ran off the roadway and was trapped in the fire. The Eastland County Sheriff's Office released the following statement. Sergeant Fenley gave her life in the service of others and loved her community. Sergeant Fenley began her law enforcement career with the city of Gorman, September 5, 2003, as a patrol officer. She was later appointed as Gorman Chief of Police in January of 2007. She served as chief until 2013, when she became a deputy for the Eastland County Sheriff's Office, where she has worked since. Sergeant Finley was 51 years old and survived by her husband and three children. She will be deeply missed. And this is from CBS News out of Dallas, Fort Worth. And they read, Eastland County Deputy Barbara Finley died while trying to save people from massive fires Thursday night, March 17th. The Cisco Police Department confirmed the tragic news Friday afternoon on the 18th. It's with a heavy heart that today we learned of the death of one of our Eastland County deputies who put it all on the line last night trying to save people from the horrible fires the Cisco Police Department said on their Facebook page. Our sister, Barbara Finley, will be deeply missed. She was a special servant and an attribute to our profession. We will kneel in prayer for her family, friends, and colleagues as they mourn. Rest in peace, dear friend. You will be missed. The Eastland County Sheriff's deputy was driving to evacuate residents when her patrol car became stuck in a pasture and she was surrounded by a fast-moving wildfire. She was about 15 feet away from her vehicle when the fire got to her and she couldn't make it, said her sister-in-law, Anna Oliveira. Oliveira said Fenley was dedicated to service and helping others. She was a good woman. She loved her community. She loved her job. 
Governor Greg Abbott mentioned Fenley in a statement on Friday on the Eastland Complex fire. I also asked Texans to join me on praying for those who have been affected by these wildfires, including Eastland County Deputy Barbara Fenley, who was tragically killed while trying to save lives. We will never forget her service, and the state will continue to work closely with first responders and local leaders to mitigate these fires and support our communities as they recover, he said. Approximately 45,000 acres have burned in the fires that were started on Thursday. The Texas A&M Fire Service said around 8.20 p.m., the Eastland Complex fire was 15% contained. There are no other reports of deaths or serious injuries. The community of Gorman and Carbon are reportedly almost completely destroyed. And from her obituary, it reads, very simply and very short, Barbara Ann Fenley, age 51, of Gorman, passed away on Thursday, March 17, 2022. Barbara was born on March 22, 1970, in Cleburne, Texas, to Johnny Wesley Majors and Vicki Nip Majors. Barbara loved her family very much and cared for others so deeply that she lost her life trying to evacuate families from the devastating Eastland Complex fires. She served as the chief of police in Gorman for a while. She was an Eastland County sergeant, and most recently she worked as a bailiff for the Eastland County District Court. She was survived by her mother, Vicki Majors, her husband, Joe Alavera, sons, Jonathan Finley, and wife, Haley of Gorman, Sheldon Finley of Gorman, Trent Finley and girlfriend Dialis Fulfer of Gorman and Grammy's baby. Lenton and Wesley Finley, sister Cindy Russell and husband Gary of Dublin, Donna Sistern and husband Scott of Gorman. Today's show is dedicated to Sergeant Finley. It is also dedicated to all the other brave men and women that serve as first responders here at home, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate this show to the brave men and women that serve this nation in our military from its glorious birth through today and into our future. And we dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herringdon, My Name is America.
it to me They believe in the virtues I stand for My respect for humanity Now I'm challenged by tyrants Who envy my power But they're vicious deeds Become my finest Radio, half a dozen other places, especially our homepage. The name of the show, Southern Sense, put at dash middle, southern, hyphensense.com, of course. I'm your hostess, the least most interesting radio chickadee, Annie, along with my courageous co-host, Curtis C.S. Curtis, as we're waiting for Jennifer to uh, call in, oh man, uh, we have a person in the uh, chat room over here on Facebook, Stacy, who said she's there in uh, Kentucky, that's her home state. And uh, she's questioning whether or not the dam may have been compromised, which is causing this flooding. That's going to be interesting uh, as we follow it as it goes along. But I do uh, recommend that whatever caused this, right now our focus should be on the people on the ground uh, doing the rescues, those that are being rescued, those that are still stranded. Uh, let's give a hand wherever you are throughout this nation or throughout the world. Uh, get a hold of the Red Cross, make a donation over there. Uh, seems like my volume's a little down. Okay, we'll try to put that up a little bit. Um, make a donation to the American Red Cross, the Salvation Army, and Samaritan's Purse. Because they're going to be the boots on the ground uh, to help these victims and the rescue workers. And consequently, in the end, also the ones that are going to be out there to do the uh, recovery. Uh, so please uh, be generous with them and uh, help our people here at home uh, above all else. That said, um, 
Okay, Curtis, what else have we got before uh, Carol calls in, uh, Jennifer calls in? That's, that's, I think we were also talking about this um, this denial, this, this, this Obama administration. Did I say Obama? <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty much like the Obama. The Biden administration, it's, it's, it's I'm sure he's running things. I'm sure he's running uh-huh. things, but they're in a state of denial, you know, and it's just so it's, it's just weird because everybody in America is feeling a pinch, even the, the business people, because they can't man their stores, you know, especially in the service field with people to keep their businesses open, or, you know, for different shifts or whatever. And it's just horrible. Everywhere I go, I see signs saying, you know, um, now hiring, you know, or we'll give you, you know, $2,000 bonus just to, you know, to sign up. And even our military is um, falling short of its recruiting, you know, goals. And, I mean, all five branches. You know, and it's just horrible. But this guy's saying, oh, everything's all right, you know. I disagree with the uh, report. You know, don't listen to them. Listen to me. You know, vote for me. And uh, apparently 25% of Democrats think he's, he's doing a great job. So I, I don't know. We well, got Disneyland here. I don't know. He must live in La La Land. Well, that means seventy-five percent of the of his supporters believe he's not doing a good job. And why am I and getting that's feedback? Good. I'm not sure. All right, let's try that. Okay, it was coming from my end. All right. <laughs> All right, my bad. I, I clicked on the wrong thing. <laughs> it's when you have two computers going at the same time, yeah, uh, trying to keep <laughs> something straight. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I'm telling you right now, my nose is itching like crazy. There's something mm-hmm. in my office that I think I'm allergic to. Mm. But like I'm telling you, Americans show. are not buying his story because it's hurting them in the pockets. And, um, yeah. You know, they're not going to forget that in November. They're not thinking about the January 6th anything, you know. They weren't about, you know, baby formula and, and the high cost of gas. Wow. Well, when gas goes up, the gasoline prices, you know, diesel prices, oil prices go up. That means everything also goes up because you got to be able to get the stuff to the market. you got to be able to manufacture it. And everything does rely on petroleum. Now, he's cut off our petroleum production, which means that we have to import our our petroleum at a higher price than ourselves producing it here at home and refining it here at home. So once those costs go up, you see it on the grocery shelves, you see it in service industries. It's not just the gas pump. It is completely across the board. And I do believe this is our guest calling in. Is it, Curtis? Yes. Okay, then let's bring her on. And welcome back to the show, former Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Florida, the free state of Florida, Jennifer Carrolls. Good afternoon, Jennifer. How are you today? Oh, doing very well. You are hearing from Florida, the oasis of freedom, because we have a governor that is no nonsense, that adheres to the Constitution and adheres to the Tenth Amendment for our state's rights and adheres to that it is a people's republic where the government is representing the people and what the people want. So for the rest of your listeners out there, that's what they should demand from their elected officials as well. 
Yeah, well, here I am in the state of uh, South Carolina, so we're not too far behind you, but we keep our foot, you know, (laughs) on McMaster's uh, desk going, come on, come on, kick him once every while. Go, hey, 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 let's do the same thing Florida's doing. (laughs) You know, the funny thing is, the thing is that we get too complacent because when things are going nice and smooth and we don't have any terrorists blowing up anything in New York or anywhere else, that we think we tend to think that all is well. But at that particular point is when the people really need to start pulling back the government that they have elected and investigate what is really being done behind the scenes. For example all of the money we've given Ukraine, and, or so we think. Where is it going? Who is handling those, those dollars? And what is it being accounted for? There's nothing in any of the Republicans or Democrats of the monies that we've already given Ukraine to give us a line item as to what equipment, what services, what ammunition we have provided for them, and what was the end result. We have another uh, Moderna is going to get X amount of dollars, billions of millions of dollars from the Biden administration for a vaccine that's not even up, um, signed off yet to to for its effectiveness. So how can you then? How can the Biden administration give so much money to a pharmaceutical company where their vaccine effectiveness is not even yet signed off by the authorities, the health industry. So who's getting the money? Who, who are the lobbyists? Who are the, the pockets that are being lined by the, the American taxpayer dollars? So we cannot be asleep at the wheel assuming that things are being taken care of for us and next minute we're in a recession or we're not in a recession and then we are in a recession and now we're really in a recession and people are hurting, hurting to buy diapers, hurting to put food on the table, hurting to go on vacation. Look at at our airlines. They they reduced the the legs of many um, hubs that they were flying into, and they, they have a shortage of staff because we tried to inject them with a vaccine that they did not want. So they had early retirement. Then we got into a period of time where we don't have people that are well-trained in their flight hours to even get behind a cockpit. You have um, staffing as far as the, the, um, the stewardesses that have either left or retired, even in our military. We have a shortage now, both in in all of our services, because of the vaccine mandates. And and it's unconscionable that people that have given and sacrificed themselves for our country, which is less than 11% of the people have done so in our country, and here the government, our government, is going to force them to do something, just like they did the anthrax, and we see what happened with the anthrax, that people had side effects that now the government have to give them disability for, and you would rather them give up or lose their, their pension or the amount of years in service and not get a pension for forcing them to get a vaccine. Those things are unconscionable for our government that we have elected to represent us, and these people operating like the Gestapo. You know, there's, there's, if I were to break down just what you went through, we can go on for the next five hours <laughs> easily, very easily go on, because you mentioned the Moderna new vaccine that's coming out, and each and every one of these COVID-19 vaccines are experimental Now, according to the CDC regulations, you cannot force someone to take an experimental uh, vaccine, drug, uh, 
treatment, therapy, uh, whatever, if it's still deemed experimental and it is not officially approved and tested and the, we know down the road exactly what the side effects are, who should have it, who should – that hasn't all been done. These are all just experimental, yes. not That's officially approved. Yeah, they're throwing things against the wall. And here is why it's experimental and they're utilizing it under the emergency use so that when people are negatively impacted by the, their vaccination, they cannot sue anyone. There's no recourse for them to sue anyone. And that's also unconscionable because if the government is not familiar with the, and have done a study for 15, 20 years with their various cohorts to see what's, what's, the, what's the impact, whether people are taking X types of medicine and how that is negatively impacted with the vaccine and or their genetics and how that is negatively impacted by the vaccine or race and gender and, and, and environmental impacts that may be negative to the vaccine. And so if anyone is out is in that cohort where they will be negatively impacted by the vaccine and become negatively impacted by the vaccine, they have no financial recourse to sue anyone, not the pharmaceutical and not the government. That's completely correct. And right now I have a dear friend of mine. He lost his 11-year-old grandson uh, because of the vaccine. 11 years old, and this kid has a heart attack. Mm. Here one day. Well, talk about that. Yeah. I have um, a dear friend of mine. Uh, he got the vaccine, and he now has this huge lump in his on his arm that is not going away. You know, my and sister had COVID. Mm-hmm. She had COVID, and she goes and gets the vaccine, and she gets just as sick, and for just as as long. She had long COVID. You see, these are the things that if they truly did a study with the cohorts, they'll be able to have the data to to present. Because when we look at any uh, pharmaceutical commercial on the TV, it tells you it could do this, 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 and the other. They have the disclaimers. They let you know up Mm -hmm. front. With the with the COVID vaccine, I don't care if it, it's it's the Omicron variant or not. They're not telling you what the vaccine could potentially do. Recent there was uh, today there was a an article that came out of three doctors from the same hospital died suddenly in the same week after the hospital mandated their fourth vaccination. That's yeah. in Canada that occurred. So here you are, and it's, it's interesting that the money that's going to Moderna for this potential vaccine that's, that's not um, deemed effective as yet, it says, oh, it, 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 um, it guards against the Omicron variant, the same one that President Biden got, so therefore you have to run on and get it. First of all, how do we know that President Biden got any what particular variant? They didn't tell us that when he got tested. So how come you're nope. telling us that a week later that this vaccination that you want to give all the taxpayer dollars to to Moderna is is the one that that um, that would help anyone else get any any variation of the Omicron variant? It's it's really unconscionable how they are taking the American public um, and misusing and abusing the power that we've entrusted in them. Well, why don't we go back to the NIH that Fauci was running and all of the scientists that helped to develop various therapies, uh, medications, and so forth. And while they were working for the NIH, they were getting grant money and royalty money to process these very things. 
so now you got Moderna getting stuff approved and Pfizer getting approved and all these other medical companies paying out royalties to government employees, which is tantamount to a legal bribe. Which they're bribing these guys to approve this stuff. Now, how many millions of dollars did these scientists and doctors pocket, including Fauci? Mm-hmm. And his wife, who has a job that no one can quite de- uh, determine what it is within the NIH, you know, they are in bed together. This mm-hmm. is major, major money, and it's coming on the taxpayer's dime and at the risk of our very health and life. Well, here's the He's other thing. With our lives. Talk, the other thing, talking about Fauci, people don't realize how many patents that Fauci owns during the course of time that he's been with the NIH. He's the one that's been doling out the money for research and at the various centers that are doing either research and and other um, um, patent developments. And he himself owns some of these patents that we have given him a salary to work for. How many of us can go to work for any company and say, because I exist here and I'm doling out the money, I own X amount of stock. Every time you you provide a salary to me, I get X amount of stock from this company. None of us can do that. But he's been able to do that with these patents. And patents, when when things are developed, whether it's the vaccine that's developed or, or a pill for something or a cure for something, and it's through that patent and that license for that patent, that's another thing he owns, licenses. He gets mega millions of dollars, even oh, yeah. to, to the point of billions of dollars. That so, just because he's retiring with a, four, a, a six-figure salary of over four hundred thousand dollars, that's pennies compared to the other enrichment that he's received and will receive in the future. Add on to his salary all the benefits that get tied to that. Also, his medical, his insurance, and la di da di da, and whatever he walks away from. So he's getting the, the pension plus the benefits as he walks away as a government employee. Now he gets all these royalties and patents, which he can then uh, put in his will and give to his children and grandchildren, Absolutely. and they, in turn, go down. So we created a billionaire yes. on the taxpayer. A mega-billionaire, a mega-billionaire. <laughs> as Donald Trump would say, a mega-billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Governor. Yes, sir. If you start to roll roll back the layers, you'd be amazed at what we're finding. Go ahead, Curtis. Annie and I were just talking before you came aboard with us about how um, 25%, there's still 25% of Democrats out there that think Biden's doing a great job. But that means there's 75% who aren't. And I, I think that's because of the reality um our economic our realities and and what you were just talking about you know how these folks that we pay a government salary for are making millions on the side because of their lobbying or their you know personal interests and things like that and i think people are beginning to wake up and it doesn't bode well for the the left and their agenda coming up in the midterms i believe what are your thoughts I hear a couple of things. I am very, and after being in government and being out of government, I I watch government with a skeptical eye no matter who is speaking to me. 
no matter what message is coming out, I peel that onion back. And that's how, unfortunately, we've come today that we cannot really trust the people that are that we've elected to office to do what's right by us and give us the truth. First of all, giving us the truth will be, create an uproar, and that person may lose their seat, and everyone that's elected, their objective is getting reelected. It's not the objective is not doing what's right, and even if I lose my seat, at least I can look at myself in the mirror and know that I did what was right. So just keep that in mind. Every elected person, their objective is getting reelected. So it's not about you, the people. That's why the people have to force these people to be honest with them and probe the question when they come back into the district. Say, I don't want you telling me what that person did or didn't do that prevented you from doing your job. I elected you to do a job for me, and if you're going to blame someone else, then you are the fault and you need to be voted out of office. With regards to Biden's 25%, unfortunately, you're going to always have that sort of percentage that likes something that nobody else likes. And you wonder, do you have a brain? Hello. But that's just the realities of statistics and, and, and looking at doing polls and so forth. It all depends on the question that's asked, too. Then you have those that say, well, I don't think he's doing a great job because the economy, it is what it is, and I can't afford this. I have seen a 50% reduction in my retirement accounts a 5-0% reduction in 18 months. I know if I'm seeing that, many others who thought they were going to be retiring soon or thought they had enough nest egg to retire is also realizing that. So they're looking at that and saying, well, I don't have discretionary income as I had under Trump. I, my, my portfolio for retirement is not looking good like it did under Trump, and I don't like this Biden guy. However, if Trump gets back on the scene and he runs again and you have the January 6th stuff there and you got this messaging that they've put in people's minds that this insurrection was caused by Trump and he orchestrated and he told people to do this, that, and the other thing, without the truth being exposed, you will still have a good percentage of people say, I'd rather still keep Biden in there. Even though I'm hurting, I'll keep him in there, not Trump again. I can't take the tweets. I can't take his mouth. But when he was in office, you didn't mind taking the benefits that his policies provided you for income, for home ownership, for discretionary funds that you had, for enabling yourself to pass on and, and will a good um, a pension and retirement or savings to your, to your heirs. So people need to go away from the personalities and look at the policies and see what party or person I can benefit from for myself immediately, for myself for the future, and for my family. And that's where they, their thought for the independents and the Republicans and Democrats, that's where their thought processes need to be. And, and voters are very fickle because one week, one day, one month before the election, we have energy independence, we have the economy rolling again, and the stock market is looking good. These same people that said they don't, they don't prefer Biden in office, will turn around and vote for him again. And then if he gets back in, it's going to be the same scenario again. Like how many times do you have to bash your head against the wall to realize that that's insanity? 
And that's exactly what it's going to be. And unfortunately, during election cycles, we see the voters be fooled. They're fooled with messaging. They're fooled with that there's a nice, um, rosy-looking plant and uh, flower in front of you, so therefore that's what you have to go for. And then when you vote for it, all the flowers fall off, and you realize it was just a twig in the back. And So folks have to go into this next election non-emotional. Look at the facts. For the facts for the past, particularly this 2022 election, in the midterm elections, the facts are we were energy independent, we had a surplus of energy, and we had jobs galore, and we had an economy that was doing fantastic. We had a president that was calling out China, North Korea, and Russia. We had a president that stood up to the Taliban and said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have you guys threaten our country. We had a president that stood up to Iran and said, you're not going to build, a, you're not going to be part of a nuclear um, a monopoly here, that we, we're not going to tolerate that. And he stood up to everyone every day, all the barrage of negativism that went his way from the press and the Democrats and the the never-Trumpers. And this man stood up for country and stood up for the American public. And and he did not even accept a salary. His salary, and folks forget this, his salary went to charity. His salary went to military organizations and other charities. Granted, people say, well, he's a millionaire, he could afford it. Well, if you're a millionaire, how many charities are you giving out money to? You know, your whole salary are you giving out money to? I don't know too many people that do that. You know, so, so the thing about it is that I don't think we should put much stock into what we're seeing with the polls and who doesn't like Biden and who, who likes him. At the end of the day, if things are going well a week or a month before election, people are going to go back to their old pattern and vote the same way, and they're going to get the same results at the end of the day. Exactly. And the Democrats are very good on playing on emotions. You know, yeah. we as conservatives think logically. We mm-hmm. look at something, is it black or white? Is it, is it one and one equaling two? Or is you coming up with a wrong answer? You know, mm-hmm. we look for facts and we deal with facts. And we've got to learn how to pull that heartstring and that purse string. If we didn't do it as a kitchen table issue, as a pocket per, uh, wallet issue, if we can do it as a heartstring issue, we can win, but we don't have that mindset. And unless we can form that mindset, the Democrats are going to keep on giving us more and more Joe Bidens and Queen Camilla Mella. Well, that's and, and uh, what's her name in um, Liz Cheney's? You know, and yeah. we, can't, we cannot afford that anymore for our country. If we love our country as we say we do, and we want to pass on a better country to future generations as we say we do, then we can no longer vote for people that don't have our best interests at heart. The other thing, too, is that if Republicans are successful in taking over the House and Senate in the 2022 election, by Christ, do something. When we have Paul Ryan and he's, oh, you elect us and we're going to, when we take the majority, we're going to do away with Obamacare and put something better on the table and blah, 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 and we're going to make our taxes where you can only do this on a five-by-seven card. I haven't seen my taxes on a five-by-seven card ever since I've been alive. And, and, and it certainly didn't happen on a Paul Ryan. And when President Trump came into office, he goes, all right, we, we ran on Obamacare that we're going to get rid of it and put something more affordable and more reasonable in, in place. Paul Ryan 
Ryan and his crew had no plan whatsoever. They failed at that. So the Republicans cannot go into office with a weak need, a weak back, and not stand up for the things that they promised in a campaign trail. So they're saying, when you get us back in and we're going to do an investigation on, on Hunter Biden and, and his father's um, uh, dealings, well, the same thing happened with Hillary Clinton when they said that they were going to investigate Hillary Clinton with her foundation and all the money that, that they've received from China and, and renting out the Lincoln bedroom and all this stuff, and Trump got in the office and the and the, the establishment said, no, we can't really go after Hillary Clinton. They, you know, she's, she's already gone. Don't do anything about it. So don't campaign and tell us you're going to do one thing, and then you want to run all these investigations, and nothing happens at the end of the day. We have a two-tier justice system right now. Those that have a bunch of money to write themselves out of a ticket and those that are on the Democrat side that can easily say and do whatever they want and walk away with it, and no one bats an eye. And then you have the average Joe Schmo that can't even afford attorney's fees for they will lose all of their, their, their family's um, savings and earnings and probably locked up in a prison for misdemeanor or something that they could have easily defended themselves about. But then you see folks like Hillary Clinton and, and Hunter Biden and others just walking around that have criminal activity that, that clearly has evidence that we, that's been presented, the DOJ and FBI and the CIA covering things up at the highest level, and, and Comey and Brennan and all of them lied through their teeth, and now they're collecting millions of dollars in contracts and doing other things and free as a bird and no accountability for what they have done to this country. Well, we want so time and time, uh, I'm sorry, Chris, we see time and time, we see them getting before Congress and lying before Congress, not held in contempt. You don't have the, the, the sergeant of arms serving a warrant on them, but Steve Bannon, oh, heaven forbid, it's a conservative, and may have, may have denied, you know, evidence being handed over because of executive privilege. But he gets a warrant. You know, you have... Uh, uh, what is his name? Peter Navarro, chained, feet and hands shackled and strip searched for what? Exerting executive privilege because he was a, 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 a an aide to President Trump. But no, 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 no. We have the this one set of rules for the left, and then for every other schmuck out there, uh, heaven forbid, there's no constitution that doesn't even exist anymore. Yep. I'm sorry, Chris. I, I, I get so well, pissed off. I, I was just going to say Pence was recorded the other day, pretty much with the mindset that um, um, what happened in the past is in the past. We need to move on, and that's like let bygones be bygones. You know, they're not interested in trying to um, find out what happened in 2020. They have no interest. Um, and the lieutenant governor was right. We have to find a way to get those um, who only look at personalities because that's the way the, the left is framing everything or personalities, especially with Trump. And instead of that, to look at results. And that is what I'm trying to do when I reach out to um, my friends and my family members in the minority communities. You know, look at the, the high food prices and and look at the gas prices and look at, you know, your, you know, government intrusion on your rights and, and things like that. Did any of this happen under Trump? So, you know, 
y'all need to focus on results and not personalities. And and I think that's the path to um, one of these folks over. And we also have to have a level of honesty. You cannot say that if Trump sends out a tweet that bothers you, but seeing the president's son flying on Air Force Two, lobbying and negotiating with foreign governments, enriching himself and his family, doing something and not registered as a foreign agent on our taxpayer dollars, that's, that's a as a fine, it's a, it's a, it's um, against the law, and say that that doesn't bother you. You cannot say that the president's son, the president who says he had no idea of the son's dealings and didn't speak to his business partners, but yet still you're on a golf course with a picture with them. You have there's evidence in in the, um, the emails about your payment and your involvement with the the business operation. And that doesn't bother you, but the, 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 the former president foundation that has, so far, they haven't unveiled any, anything with the foundation, have improprieties, but the foundation has to shut down because every time they can Harry in New York City wanted to investigate the foundation, and here you have Hillary Clinton's foundation that's accepted money from the Chinese, which is a clear violation of the law again, and they get a pass. You cannot say, well, one bothers you and the other doesn't. You have to be intellectually honest with yourself that if a crime is a crime, no matter who commits the crime, if it's on your side or the other side, that you have to call it out, and you don't condone it. You don't say that that's okay because it's on my side, we'll turn a blind eye. That is wrong because how are we raising our children? How are we raising a society of a level of honesty? Once we turn a blind eye to what we're seeing is wrong on our side, I don't care if it's a Republican or Democrat side, we, we, we then lose credibility in any conversation. You know, we, like I said, we can go on for the next five hours just trying to peel away on the onion, and we'll never get to the core of it, honestly. Uh, but it has to start somewhere. And I think the conversation is starting to happen. This administration, I think, has opened a lot of people's eyes, and more and more people are starting to talk about it. And you're also seeing on the Democratic side where they're saying, all right, wait a minute, uh, Joe Biden's got to go. But who are they putting in place for Joe Biden? It's not Queen Camilla Mello, thank God. No, it's Queen Hillary. They're going to drag her back out again. I guarantee it just to keep Bernie Sanders from running. Well, the other thing, too, you have Pelosi's, uh, I think he's her, his, um, her, um, her husband? relative is, um, I don't know if a cousin or something, but in California, Gavin Newsom. Gavin oh, Newsom, right. you're doing a horrible job in California, and you, by ego, want to run for president to do what? To make the rest of the country just as bad? Where you have needles on the street and kids are bust home, they have to cross over these homeless people on the streets with all these um, um, drug needles and, 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 and gun violence and so forth. And you did such a horrible job, plus Nancy Pelosi, in the state of California that now you want to come and run for president and with no plan of action to make this country, since you have the largest state in the union, 
at one of the largest states in the union, and you can't even handle that. How are you going to handle the rest of the country? So these throwbacks and these people with their ideology that the rest of us have to suffer while they stay on top is, is a class sort of system that they want to implement in this country. We have one of the best class in this country is the middle class. And because of the middle class, this country is enabling people who want to excel and move up the ladder to be able to do so. If we were in India, you're on the top or the bottom. If you're in China, it's the same thing. You're, you're not going to be able to get into that upper echelon. Everybody, They have the, the mega million now that's uh, $1.2 billion, and people are probably going to be taking out loans and who knows what to buy a ticket to make it into that upper class. Well, when you do, you have taxes to pay. You need to get a, then a tax shelter. And, and you think you can do that in other countries that have a class system? that keep the top on the top and the bottom on the bottom. That's why this country is so great. That's why people are trying to, they're, they're dying coming into this country. They're sending their kids without any adult supervision to get them in this country so they will have a better life. And we are throwing it away when we're sitting at the table talking about, well, we can call it a she, he, her, and, and we, we have, have, have all these protected class and so forth. And in other countries, other third world countries, they're teaching their kids the basics of math and science. They're teaching their kids how to fix and, and, and develop AI. And AI is replacing our workforce here in this country while we're sitting down painting out here all different kind of colors and, and don't want to show up for work and just want to collect a, a government check and stay home. And our country will go down the tubes and foreigners will come in here and take over our country and we wouldn't even know what happened. In generations to come, if we don't step up now and protect and guard our country that's less than 250 years old with the Constitution that we have in place, with the rights and privileges and freedoms and liberties that we have in place, that we are taking for granted that if we don't stand up and safeguard those things, we will lose it and future generations will not know what we have, what we have squandered. Now, already we have foreign nations with huge investments here in the United States. Communist China is the biggest investor right now in the United States. And I've warned about this many years ago. I've had many guests on, uh, including General Spaulding, who has a great book out about that, came out about two years ago. Um, Gordon Chang is a friend of mine. But no one is paying attention to the foreign investments. And I warned about this. They're buying up farmland. They have been buying up food processing factories. Every time I see something in Smithfield uh, in the grocery store, I go, I'm sorry, I'm not going to support Communist China. I'm not buying Smithfield. And you start looking at how many of these companies that are on your daily grocery shelf that are now owned by Communist China. You go into Walmart, and I dare anyone to pick up 10 items, and nine out of those 10 items will be made in China. Well, now, we have sold our soul to China from the time they, they, they bought iconic buildings in New York, and now they're, they're smart. They're always reach, yeah. looking forward. They're always like, how can we then monopolize and become that superpower? And one of the things that's concerning with regards to properties they're, built, they're buying up are properties close to our military installations. They'll be able yeah. to either intercept or receive a communication, and the Chinese will tell you in a heartbeat they're good copycats. They would listen, they would get intel, and they would copy exactly what the U.S. government is doing and know what we're doing. And people don't understand that our military is our safeguard for our republic. 
if we do not have a strong military, if we do not have a military that is 10 steps ahead of the enemy, we would lose everything. They are safeguard to this republic. And, and the NBA, they've gone over to China. They've gotten a lot of money. They, 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 they're silent in, in any yes. of, of, the, um, of the Uyghur uh, the Uyghur Muslims that they have enslaved, they're, they're silent to any of the human rights abuse, the, the, the MBA and any other. We have a number also, too, elected officials, both state elected officials and, and federal elected officials that have worked and lobbied for the Chinese government and entities in China. They get lots of money. They get paid really well. And unfortunately, the money overrides doing what's right. Exactly. Well, Jennifer, it has been a pleasure. You're always welcome back. People can find you on your website, which is your name, Jennifer Carroll, with two L's. And they can also find out about your best-selling book. Yep. Yes, when you your get best-selling there. book. Yeah, absolutely. So God bless, Jennifer. And like I said, thank we you. can go on easily for five hours. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Jennifer, All right. God take bless. care. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. All right. Uh, check out jennifercarroll.com, as she said, and check out her book when you get there. Talking about books, and this gentleman, I bet, uh, no, I bet, I met, she's mixing the B's and the M's, I met, believe it or not, back in 2012 in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, at the South Carolina Tea Party Coalition Convention when we had them, Dr. Jerome Corsi. Good afternoon, Jerome. How are you doing today? I'm great, Annie. Good to be back with you. Thank you. It is our pleasure. You've got a new book that just came out just a couple of days ago, and I haven't had a chance to read it yet. So I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to have you come back on again, because a good friend of mine, Dr. Gregory Wrightstone, uh, was one of the ones that turned me into the truth about global warming. Your book is titled The Truth About Energy, Global Warming, and Climate Change, Exposing Climate Lies in an Age of Disinformation. I managed to do that without messing it up. Oh, I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> well, you did well. I mean, that's good. Um, I think my book seems to be doing very well, and I'm very pleased. Thank you, for everybody, for that. And um, I was on George Norrie Coast to Coast last night for two hours and uh, realized that the unique aspect of my book is that I'm really explaining things about climate science that people just don't know. They, we, people are not taught climate science in schools. In fact, the way we're teaching everything from chemistry to physics is increasingly politicized. So things that I'm bringing up, I'm going to give you some examples, are eye-opening to people. I'll, one of them, that's, first of all, I mean, I discuss carbon dioxide as just a trace element in the environment. It, it's point zero 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 four percent or something like that and over geological time it's been much more uh, 175 million years ago it's been reducing it early earth going back 4.6 billion years the Earth's atmosphere was heavily carbon dioxide by uh, 175 million years ago it was 7,750 parts per million today it's 400 parts per million and that's a dramatic reduction. The atmosphere is so huge that, that carbon dioxide is almost so minimal a percentage of the atmosphere that's a trace element. And it's ridiculous to say that it is the driver of Earth's temperature when the driver of heat on Earth is the sun. You know, it's a newsflash left. Go outside. The sun heats the Earth. 
That's what yeah. we get. That 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 big, you know, yellow orange thing in the sky is not a tree ornament. That's the major <laughs> source. That's the major source of energy and heat on the Earth. Not carbon dioxide. As carbon dioxide is not the thermometer of heat on the Earth, unless you want to believe a lot of politicized and distorted pseudoscience. You know, when we look back, and I, I always use this example, when Christ walked on the earth, the earth was warmer than it is today. We are actually climbing out of a mini ice age. And people don't believe that. But all you have to do is look at the science. Now, I haven't been able to delve through your entire book, but I'm sure that you've got the stats in there to prove that, too. Uh, Gregory Wrightstone has it on his, the CO2 Coalition. I have a link to your website so people can pick the book up through you there. Uh, I'm urging people to learn more about these Green New Deals and what the purpose is behind it. Now, I'm hearing in the news just to this morning that it's going to be passed, that new tax bill, that it also pushes the Green New Deal. They're forcing us down a road that will not make us energy independent, but instead enslave us, won't, won't they? Yes, it, it's a Marxist agenda to eliminate capitalism. That's what it's morphed into. And the idea is to deprive the Western world of the most powerful source of energy to provide the abundance we have in a global inter, interglacial global warming period where more trees, more carbon dioxide, still his geological time, a minuscule amount of carbon dioxide. We have a greener, more abundant planet. And one of the big awakenings of my book is that uh, oil is not fossil fuel. Uh, hydrocarbons are not made by fossils, not plankton or bacteria or dead plants or dead animals. And I've been uh, proving the theme since I wrote a book called Black Gold Stranglehold in 2005. In this book, I spend a whole chapter on it. Uh, I try to introduce the idea this way that, you know, when people die, we bury them because they're going to think they're decomposing. Mm -hmm. When we die, the energy that holds our bodies together stops and we reduce into constituent chemicals. We bury people. I have yet to find a recorded history where we dug somebody up who was buried and found oil. We find the Bible does not say dust into oil. It says dust into dust. And for a good reason. That is the second law of thermodynamics, which is what entropy is about, has to do with living things, energy forms. If they're not continually supplied with energy, tend to dissipate. It's also one of the key principles of the Earth's climate, which is to redistribute heat around the globe. Uh, when the Earth is hot at the equator, the Earth moves that heat to the poles. Uh, it tries to circulate whatever heat there is to the entire planet. The complex system of Earth's climate or weather patterns does not depend on carbon dioxide. So in this book, I show you the equations that were developed, the chemical equations in the Weimar Republic by the German chemists as to how synthetic oil is made. And these equations, Germany had coal, but it did not have oil. And Hitler fueled his war machine largely with synthetic oil made in Fischer-Tropsch processes. These equations are the Fischer-Tropsch equations. And they show you how oil can be synthesized by combining carbon uh, and hydrogen in, a, in an environment of 
high temperature and high pressure with the presence of a catalyst like iron and all those ingredients are in the mantle of the earth where earth manufactures oil on oil natural gas and all hydrocarbon fuels on an ongoing basis that's where they come from well we've been watching them take away oil is bad you know drilling for oil is bad and yet they want to push upon us these green new energies which are not reliable uh, at all but how are you going to manufacture these electric cars and other green vehicles without having petrochemicals to make the wiring the seating the motor the tires i mean you need petrochemicals for Anything and everything in today's society. I dare anyone to name one thing they come in contact with except for the air you breathe outside your home, in the, out in the open, outside of the air you breathe out in the home, that does not involve petrochemicals. You're right, and that's true. And There's nothing green about um, wind turbines. They're not green. They're not plants. There's nothing green about solar energy. It's not green. It's very clever propaganda. It is not clean energy. There is no such thing as clean and dirty energy. You know, you can burn hydrocarbons very cleanly. But the point is, the left is winning because they've managed to capture the science among a group of people who've been educated in the public school system who don't know science. They, they, they can be said we're going to run out of oil because... It's fossil fuel. There's only so many fossils. Fossil fuel is a complete misnomer for hydrocarbon fuels. It's almost ridiculous when you look at the fact that we're getting deep earth oil from way in the ocean, way below which there was ever any real significant uh, biological activity. Uh, that when uh, the oil pools up through fissure cracks in the bedrock, and I used to debate with the peak oil people, who, by the way, are now all gone because we have an abundance of oil, like I said we did in 2005, the uh, whole process of the oil fields in Saudi Arabia, I give you in this book the tectonic maps, and I show you the bedrock fractures in Saudi Arabia, and they are right underneath the oil fields. Truthfully, Saudi Arabia doesn't know how much oil it's got. It is a supply because it's coming from deep earth oil and natural gas. And it is plentiful. I can't imagine. It's so plentiful, I can't imagine that we will ever run out of it. But with what Biden is doing, I am telling people $5 a gallon for gasoline is going to look cheap pretty soon, given their plans. And uh, truckers are going to have to get ready to pay $20 a gallon for diesel. Now, that sounds ridiculous. But wait until it happens and remember that I said it. Oh, exactly, exactly. And these truckers cannot load up their trucks and transport their freight at $20 a gallon. At 5 and $6 a gallon, they barely make it. They make no money. So when the products come to market, there's no way to transport them to market because the truckers will be put out of business, especially the independent ones. You know, so what, how are you going to transport stuff? Good question. Freight train? Oh, that's going to go over real well. How long is and how much is it going to cost to make those freight trains? And how are you going to power them? Oh, wait a minute. We're going to make them electric, aren't we? And now our power grid can't handle this this tax on it. If everyone was to have an electric vehicle, 
then what do you give up to fuel the vehicle? Your electricity uh, to power your home, uh, your medical equipment. You have to give something else up off the, the grid in order for these cars to run, or you limit the distance in which the person can travel. So, all right, you can power up a one battery a week, so that means you can only go within five miles of your home. Gee, that's a nice way to control the population, isn't it, Jerome? Yes, it's all about control and totalitarianism. It's, but the point I want to make and really stress is that uh, those of us who see the true signs, we're losing this battle because the left doesn't care that it's impractical. When the left can convince your kindergarten student that mommy and daddy are going to deny their future because we were so stupid as to use hydrocarbon fuels and pollute the atmosphere. The earth is going to burn up before they're adults. These children get so afraid that they are saying, let's do anything we can, but let's stop using hydrocarbon fuels. The left wins on this argument because they have distorted the science and people don't understand the science. You know, if hydrocarbon fuels are a natural product of the earth, put them here, put everything here that we can use and grow with abundance, we can use these hydrocarbon fuels and burn them cleanly, cheaply, and efficiently to provide, you know, go forth and multiply. Uh, we're only supporting the, the number of people we have in the world with the abundance we have because of the interglacial warming period, uh, the vegetation on the earth, the climate that permits us to get produ productive, and the availability of hydrocarbon fuels. Deny that, and we would not be able to support these billions of people, but the left doesn't care. No. I want to make one more point on this, just to kind of get people framed into really understanding how little they've been taught. The Earth does go through ice age cycles. It's been doing it about every 100,000 years. We've had ice ages, which last a long period of time. Some of the ice ages cover all the planet, or virtually all the planet, in glaciers. And there's been much more carbon dioxide in geological time while these ice ages have been going on. My book discusses what's known as the Milankovitch cycles. They're a set of intricate statistical analyses and proven how the Earth goes around the sun. The Earth goes around the sun not in a circular orbit, but in an elliptical orbit, like an egg. And sometimes that orbit changes. It gets more elliptical. Now, in the most elliptical, the farthest away from the sun that the Earth ever gets now, uh, the, it's cold, and ice ages can be shown to correlate with this time in the Milankovitch cycles when the Earth is out in that distance. Remember, sun heats Earth. I can show you mm -hmm. the statistics the Russian scientists have that when sunspot activity, another factor of the sun driving Earth temperature, when sunspot activity is low, the, Earth is, the sun is producing less irradiant infrared irradiance, which is where the heat comes from, and it's cooler. Uh, more active sun, it's warmer. So the Russian scientists studied the sunspot data from 1617 to 1717, and they determined, as a scientist called Marander, there was a Marander minimum in those 100 years because it was a 30-year period in which the sun had 40 to 50 sunspots a year, when it normally has 40 to 50,000 sunspots a year, and the entire solar system cooled down. But it wasn't an ice age because we weren't at a Milankovitch cycle distant point. 
These little ice ages happen when the sun gets less active. The most important driving factor in Earth's temperature is the sun. It is not carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is such a small percentage of the atmosphere, it couldn't possibly make any difference to drive major temperatures. I can show you what causes major temperatures, and that's another eye-opener. Well, you know, there's, there's two things that I want to bring out because uh, people don't realize the most abundant thing in our atmosphere that does affect the greenhouse would be water, HO2. However, if we increase the amount of CO2 in our atmosphere, we encourage more plant life, more plant life, more food, less starvation, better pop- and healthier populations, and more stable governments. The more the government, you know, more the people are happy and content and fed, the more stable governments become, less wars. So we increase CO2, we benefit the planet. We decrease, we starve the planet, then we have worldwide turmoil that we are starting to see right now. See, the left doesn't care. I spent three chapters of this book showing you that the, this environmental movement came out of the Malthusian movement at the end of World War II. You have people like Paul Ehrlich writing books about the population bomb. There are too many people. We're using up the resources of the earth too fast. We're depleting the earth. We're burning hydrocarbon fuels. We are, we're destroying the planet. So if your child thinks by burning hydrocarbon fuels we're destroying the planet and that we'll have fewer people, it'll be less productive if we stop using hydrocarbon fuels. As long as we're using renewable energies, which they have been taught to think are clean and safe and abundant and work, which they don't, then the, the kids say, well, what's wrong with you, Mommy and Daddy? Do you want, do we want the earth to go away? I, maybe there's too many people. So some may need to die. We've, we've been, we've been, we've wasted the Earth's resources by burning this hydrocarbon fuel, and we're destroying ourselves. It's complete nonsense. Uh, hydrocarbon fuels generate carbon dioxide in such a small quantity that it does not add in the atmosphere to any significant amount, because the Earth does not have an additive system in the atmosphere. It's got a very changing climate with feedback systems. People understand how feedback systems work. But, you know, so for instance, it gets warmer, we form more clouds, water vapor in the oceans, which get warmer, create more clouds. The clouds then block sun from kind of, in, you know, another eye-opener to people, go outside, clouds. You stand under a cloud, why is it <laughs> shady? Why does it doesn't feel so warm? Well, it's shady because the cloud is the water vapor, which is 70% of the greenhouse gas on Earth is blocking the visible light, and the, and the water vapor is also blocking the infrared rays from getting as much through. So it's darker, shade, and cooler, shade. That's why we call it shade, okay? It's nice to be under cloud when the sun is intense. And this is a natural feedback system of the Earth so the Earth doesn't get too hot. The Earth has these regulatory, you know, regulation methods where the Earth has a temperature setter which tries to distribute the heat around the planet. And no one factor, no single variable in a multivariate nonlinear equation is going to determine the outcome. Uh, again, the kids aren't taught the math. They aren't taught, no. they aren't taught what a guy named Lorenz knew. Lorenz was a climate scientist. He had an early desktop computer. He had a model of the, of the Earth's climate. 
he rounded off the numbers of his estimates of temperature and went and got a cup of coffee. When he came back, the computer was producing wildly different future predictions. And what he realized was that very small differences in measurement lead to dramatic differences in result, and that we do not have precise measurements of anything on Earth. In fact, we'll never will because we can't get them. You have irrational numbers. You take pi, which is you know, the circumference and diameter of a circle, and you can compute decimal points infinitely. Well, the Earth doesn't compute decimal points. The Earth just functions. Our computer models are doomed to be wrong because Lorenz said the chaos mathematics Climate is inherently chaos, so many mm-hmm. things happen you can't produce the, the future, and we don't have the mathematics to get a precise, complex model. So the UN and the international, the intergovernmental policy, intergovernment panel on climate change saying if we have this much more carbon dioxide, we have this much more heat in the earth, it's going to just, they don't have the ability to form that equation unless they rig the data and put assumptions that aren't true into that their formula. That's what I show in my book. We're going to have to beat the left by showing the science is fraudulent and convincing our kids that they've been frightened about a boogeyman that doesn't exist. Yeah, Jerome. Well, also talk about the, uh, the renewable energies. You talk about the wind and the solar. These are both harmful to the environment. The uh, wind uh, 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 turbines, if you put them near a population, it uh, causes mental illness because of the vibrations. It kills off the the fowl, the birds in the migration because they fly into it. You have the solar panels made with, with uh, what, what do you call it, um, the chemicals, the, the, the rare earth chemicals and everything that lithium, are in there. Lithium, et cetera. But, yeah, I mean, batteries right, with lithium, but, for instance. But you you can't just take them and throw them in the local dump because they're they're toxic to the environment. They have to be specially destroyed. Uh, the batteries in the cars that have the rare earth elements they're toxic to the environment. So these green energies, when they need to be disposed of and replaced, are toxic to the environment. So are you going to kill the environment because you're using oil and gas? Not as likely than if you are using these new, quote, green new energies that are not green at all. All right, go ahead, Chris. we got just a few minutes left with Jerome. Yeah, I was going to say what's very um, frustrating to me is that um, there's a lot of Democrats that listen to um, stations like NPR and, and Black um, Information Channel Network or whatever, so they don't realize that um, this climate um, thing, because, I mean, you can call it climate change or whatever, but um, they don't realize it's been politicized and that they practically are listening to um, propaganda. And, it's, I mean, every day they're being fed that the, you know, earth is getting warmer because of man, not because of anything in nature um, that happens, you know, every couple of hundred thousands of years but it's the man, and uh, it's hard to, to get through these people that listen to this stuff. You know, there's a saying, you are what you eat, but I believe your mind is also what you, you know, what you listen to. This is a what very good, this is a very good point, an important point, because what my book is saying is, you know, I consider my book game-changing, and 
fundamentally different from all the other books that have been written on this. All the points about, you know, the renewable energies don't work. Yes, that those will not win the debate. They're all true, but they won't because the left doesn't care if, if using hydrocarbon fuels are going to destroy Earth and kill us all. Then anything we do is okay, even if it doesn't fully work, even if it means a lower standard of life. It's okay with them. the The point is this: the it, it is proper and important to understand the import, how important, how unimportant we are. Earth has been around 4.6 billion years. And what I demonstrate in this book is that we've been here maybe 10 million years. That's a microsecond. We're just the latest creatures running around on the surface of the Earth. The Earth doesn't adjust to us. The Earth has its own natural mechanisms of regulating temperature. It's gone through cataclysmic changes. We've had five extinctions when there were no people around. And I write about the dinosaurs being extinguished in 65 million years ago and point out it took a huge comet it was an asteroid that hit the Yucatan and sent tsunamis up to North Dakota. At the same time, there was a, thousands of years of volcanic activity going on in India, and that threw sulfur oxide into the atmosphere, which meant photosynthesis was dying, and most of these dinosaurs were eating plants. And third, which people still, this is another one that's like fossil fuel, these, the continents didn't just have one at one time this Guandaland, this you know Pangaea, all the continents were together, and all the water was on the other side. That's not stable because there's you know seventy percent of the land mass is water, but water has a much lower mass than Earth. That kind of a planet would spin out of control. What uh, I think is much more reasonable is the expanding Earth theory, which is that in the in this period of time. 65 million years ago, the Earth dramatically expanded, like taking a tennis ball and popping it up to the size of a grapefruit, the little fuzzy parts of the continents. And in that expansion of Earth, there was an increase of mass, increase of gravity, and creatures the size of dinosaurs were no longer structurally fit because they were too big for the, for the increased gravity. That's another major reason, I believe, dinosaurs were extinguished. And... All this points to the fact that we human beings may think we're very important, but the changes that go on Earth are cataclysmic, and it's uncertain that we are really affecting them at all when you understand the forces needed to do something like cause an extinction or to cause the Earth to warm. You know, if we look at the history of the Earth, we are just dust in the wind. We're just a little fleck. So, you know, eventually we're going to be extinct. That's going to happen sooner or later, like the dinosaurs. What comes after us, Lord knows. Or or what? I mean, no matter what we do, eventually we will become extinct too, right? Well, you know, it's, the future is hard to predict in that regard. But the point is the history of the Earth with five major extinctions is that it is not an increase or decrease of carbon dioxide that amounts to a hill of beans. When mm-hmm. you have giant asteroids hitting, when you have a thousand years of volcanic activity, we've got the ring of fire around the Pacific and had it for a long time. The Pacific's been expanding. It's twice the size of the Atlantic, and that could blow it. We could have volcanic activity going in the Pacific that could last a thousand years or thousands of years. We could be hit by another asteroid or comet. Every few weeks you're reading about another asteroid that's going to come close to the earth 
but we, and we didn't even know it was there. I mean, we, this is not a stable place. Uh, the Earth could go through cycle 25 and be in a minimum, and we could enter a new ice age. Of course, the global warmers will say that global warming caused the ice age. Okay, they, anything that happens, they say, causes this. And this is an ideological agenda, and it's only going to be defeated if we can reduce people's fear. And you can only reduce people's fear by opening their eyes to true science and, and alerting them and explaining to them in terms they can understand how much they have been lied to about the way Earth's climate works. That's why my book, I think, is a game changer. And uh, I agree with George Norrie last night when he said this could well be another number one book. Um, you know, I could do... It, for me, this has been a passion. It's my third book on energy. I'm a political scientist. But, you know, I've got pre-publication reviews which are in the book or on the website or on Amazon where I've got very, very credible scientists and meteorologists uh, praising the science of this book and saying it's a must-read. Uh, this will change. Fun if you read my book, which is The Truth About Energy, Global Warming, and Climate Change, uh, it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, it's in the bookstores. If you read it, you will not be able to listen to the climate lies with the same conviction. And you'll have the ammunition to tell your kids why they're not all going to die because we're burning hydrocarbon fuels. Well, you know, in the 70s, 60s, and 70s, it was global cooling. We're all going to freeze to death. And I remember insisting on my mom buying me those earth shoes, which were the world's worst shoes to ever wear. So now the new fear is they couldn't win us over with global cooling because it turned out to be false in the long run. We're now being fed with global warming. It's still another way to use propaganda to control us, to kill the free market economy, and let the elite have everything else while we, the peons, become their servants. See, the, I mean, you're right again. And the of course, <laughs> Earth was the Earth was actually in a, in a very warm period of the 1930s and 1940s. There are articles being written then about the ice caps melting. Then the Earth began in the 50s to cool. So these alarmists, the Malthusians, who really wanted to get rid of people so they could be in control. You know, Paul Ehrlich, who wrote The Population Bomb, never thought he wasn't wanting to eliminate him. He was wanting to make everybody else the serfs and have them go away so he could have all the resources for himself and the global elite he thought were worthy to live. When the Earth started warming again at the uh, end of the 70s, they said, we can't, sell the, we can't sell the Ice Age anymore, so let's sell global warming. We're all going to burn up. The, the, it's an ideological. The left does not care which catastrophe they pick or whether it's real because they're going to construct the story, the narrative. Remember, this, this critical theory, neo-Marxist left, is all about creating narratives. And they create a narrative demonizing carbon dioxide, even though it does not have science behind it. It was a trace element in the atmosphere because we, burning hydrocarbon fuels releases carbon dioxide. They can make this a demon. And if we're all afraid we're going to die because we're using hydrocarbon fuels, we can abandon them, and then we destroy capitalism, and then we destroy the standard of living. Possibly billions of people will die. Do you think the World Economic Forum or Bill Gates would care? In fact, no. the strategy is designed, and what I'm saying is the only way we're going to defeat this, and what I've written this book to show, is just how wrong the science is. On our side, people are not educated in the science. They're educated in the politics. 
They can tell you why, you know, electric cars don't work. But even very few on our side can tell you what the energy coefficients are. And the hydrocarbon fuels, because you can bust them, have a stronger energy potential, as opposed to energy like electricity, which you've got to store. It has a lower potential. If we had a solar panel that would one panel power a city, you wouldn't have to have a government subsidy. Private industry would take that and develop it, and every city in the world would be powered by one of those solar panels. But the truth is existing technology is not scalable. You can't put one on your roof and save some money maybe with electricity, but you can't power a major industrial city anywhere in the world with solar panels. And Obama tried what Biden's repeating, and we had Solyndra's. I read a chapter about that, all the bankruptcies, all the billions of dollars we've spent before. We've tried this nightmare before, but we will only defeat it once we can attack the fear. We can attack the fear by showing how fraudulent the science is. That's why I talk in this book about, you know, the oil not being fossil fuel, the expanding Earth, the cycles of extinction, comets and asteroids hitting the Earth, millions of years of volcanic activity, continents splitting apart because the Earth expanded. These changes are the way the Earth is, and they can happen unpredictably at any moment. And none of them caused by having a little bit more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, going from 400 parts per million to 600 parts or 800 parts per million, when the Earth did just fine with 7,500 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere 175 million years ago. People don't understand this. Or that the carbon dioxide concentrations during ice ages, which lasted for hundreds of thousands of years, were much higher and didn't warm a thing on Earth. The ice ages were created because of the sun irradiance hitting the Earth, either because of this elliptical orbit being very elliptical or the sun was in a dormant period. That was what caused the ice ages, not carbon dioxide. Well, I notice here, though, they pushed the Green New Deal here in the United States, uh, in uh, Europe, but they're not pushing it in India or China or Russia. So if the United States becomes destroyed, our capitalism is destroyed, our economy breaks because of the Green New Deal, because of the climate hoax that we're being forced on, who's going to step into that vacuum? Our enemies. And who is the one that's providing us with this Green New Energy crap, like the solar panels and the wind turbines? Oh, gee, isn't it India and China? It's quite a clever Mass psychology, which has been known by geniuses for a long time, for millions of years, or hundreds of thousands of years. You know, we haven't been around long enough to be millions of years. But the point is this. Once you can demonize something like carbon dioxide because you want to destroy capitalism, find out an argument tell people if you keep burning hydrocarbon fuels, you're all going to die. You pick the demon. You pick the true believers. You can mobilize an army of true believers that don't even care about the science. So maybe today carbon dioxide is what Hitler did by saying it's the Jews that caused everything and convinced the Germans to be able to create concentration camps and kill a whole generation of very valuable people, create one of the greatest tragedies of the face that's ever happened in human existence. And this folly, you know, we've, we've all got to march off to the Holy Land 
to take it away from the infidels. And we get the Crusades. They all leave their homes and march across Europe. Uh, witches are um, being possessed by the devil. We have to kill them all. So now we get the witch yeah. hunt. And it goes, we, we're, this is another psychological manipulation of human beings that is going to be very effective and is being very effective because they managed to convince our children and a huge number of adults that the air we breathe is what's going to kill us because we're, ex- we're exhaling carbon dioxide. It's part of what we breathe. They, they want to tax the air we breathe. It's really quite genius and yes. convince us that is our breathe- we are our own worst enemy and there's too many of us that will be better off with fewer and if we end capitalism and stop using hydrocarbon fuels, we can get by with windmills and solar power because there won't be so many of it of us and we'll have all the abundance we need because there'll be enough of us for the planet to support sustainably that's the argument it's very convincing and it's going to have to be defeated by really you know trying to make people aware that they have been sold a lie on the science they have been lied to the side the earth doesn't work carbon dioxide doesn't work the way they've been told it does Michael Mann had to rig the statistics on the hockey pucks to, to make it work. I show that a whole chapter in the book. It is a lie, and a great lie, which real serious physicists and meteorologists and chemists will tell you is a joke. Well, Jerome, it is always a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm glad I've been your friend since 2012. So people can find your book, Jerome Corsi, on your website. There's a link on the show page so they can click on it uh, and get your book, The Truth About Energy, Global Warming, and Climate Change. God bless you, Jerome, and I look forward to seeing you again one day. God bless. Thank you very much. All right. Check out Jerome Corsi's book. Click on the link, and please download it and read it. Uh, we got our next victim. I love doing this to a military man, calling him a victim. <laughs> Retired Commander Dimitri's Dimitri, Andrew Grimes. He's running for the new district in Florida, District 15. Good afternoon, Commander. How are you today? Well, good afternoon. It's great to be with you. And the website is uh, grimes.gop, G-R-I-M-E-S dot G-O-P. So it's easy for people to look up to read more. All right. And there is a link here on the show page, so especially when they read uh, – Watch this in the archives. They can click on it and give you support because we need to keep Florida red, flaming red. <laughs> we can't let right. it be, go to somewhere else. And, and you nailed it, flaming red with, in, in the right hue of red, right, as CS would <laughs> yeah. say. With some hot sauce on it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, for anyone who's been following the race in the 15th, um, uh, I'm up against an army of professional politicians, so you know we we need all the help that we can get, um, and and you know we we we've been putting up a good fight. And what I tell people on the trail is, members of Congress are on the board of directors of the United States of America, deciding how we're going to spend our blood and treasure dealing with our current threats and challenges as we prepare to defeat our future threats and challenges. And there's nobody in this uh, in this particular race that's better qualified than myself uh, to serve and rep- to represent and serve the people on day one. Uh, I'm a combat yeah. experienced uh, naval aviator, a diplomat, and also a former exec at Amazon. Well, there was a recent article up on uh, Neo Magazine uh, talking about you. Uh, tell us about that. Well, so, uh, I mean, I, I was actually, uh, the most recent article is uh, I was just on the cover of the Jerusalem Post uh, a few days ago, 
uh, and I've been endorsed by Ambassador David Friedman. And uh, I'm, you know, for the people who are just getting to know me or don't know anything about me, I am an America first, Constitution first uh, conservative. And of course, you know, like many, especially over the last few years, our positions have evolved. Uh, in Florida, I mean, you know, we were just talking about this the other day with, with Mark Levin, that, you know, it, thanks to our good governor, um, there are 400,000 more uh, registered Republicans uh, in Florida than we had in 2018. So uh, people are moving from, from all parties back to the Republican Party, and that's a good thing. That it is. That is a very good thing. Uh, we need to get more Republicans registered. And uh, I'm hoping that some of these people from the left are finally having their eyes wide open with this administration, and they're going to flee the Democratic Party. I've been hearing about a lot of people fleeing the Democratic Party. And uh, for us, well, that's a good thing. But we've got to be able to hold on to them. Exactly. We need to hold on to them. And, and, and I think, you know, what's happening is, People, you know, people are feeling for the first time, really, in my I mean, I'm old enough to remember Jimmy Carter when people felt the pain uh, of government incompetence. And, uh, and so people are really feeling the pain of decisions that are being made in Washington at, at every level. And, you know, the most, most importantly, you know, we always talk, I, I, you know, as a military veteran and the son of a veteran, uh, son of a, a mother who's a widow to a veteran. Um, you know, people say, ask, well, what, what can we do more for veterans? And, and the, what we do more for everybody is to take back control of our economy and, and, and put an end to this irresponsible government spending that's driving inflation. But all, and beyond that, I, I caught the tail end of your, uh, your last speaker. Uh, we have, it's not enough to just uh, reinstate our energy independence. We need to. We need America to be energy dominant because that's good for America and that's good for the world. Well, in order to do that, we've also have to take back the education and take back the the information highway. So it's not just exactly. the kids out there; it's the ones that are being brainwashed by lamestream media. Oh, the sky is you falling! The sky is falling! So now we have to all have electric cars. Well, you can't make that electric right. car without the petrochemicals, and we don't have the petrochemicals because you're not letting us drill. And oh, by the way, and you're yeah. telling us there's no more oil off the Atlantic coast, but you haven't tested for any new sites on the Atlantic, Atlantic coast since the 1970s. And that technology exactly. is so old, we've got new technology. There has to be reserves down there. Right. And, and also, you know, the only diversity that this administration is not talking about is energy diversity, right? I mean, between, between nuclear and other of the new advance, advances we have in energy technologies, um, you know, the United States is actually leading the world. I mean, if, if, if the, 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 the hardcore environmentalists really want to make a difference, they should be heading over to Beijing and other places and demanding that they raise their standards to meet our standards. Um, but, but even, you know, when you, when you talk about, for example, a thousand pound uh, battery, car, electric car battery, nobody's talking about the 500,000 pounds of materials, you know, iron ore and cobalt that have to be uh, taken from the earth uh, in, in, hard, you know, in many cases, in countries where there's slave labor and, and, and no environmental uh, 
laws or restrictions. So this is all. And then what are we going to do with all these these batteries uh, that are going to seep into our water systems? Uh, I mean, so nobody's actually looking at the full, at the big. They don't care because, like you were saying earlier, the whole idea behind assaulting our energy sector, it's an assault on capitalism and free markets. And so they want to make Americans, the radical left wants to make Americans dependent upon government. And so the way you do that is is you basically destroy our economy. Yeah. If you destroy the free market economy, and then government controls all business. It's the same way exactly. the Soviet Union did, the same way Communist China does. So we end up becoming exactly. a socialist nation. But in order to do that, you then have to first attack the Constitution. You have to attack the founding right. fathers, which they are doing exactly. now and very well. Our education system is allowing it to be done. Our lamestream media is supporting the lies. And, and that, that's a key component. And that is where and, we and have to... Yeah. Go ahead. And just just, just oh, no, think I'm, about well, law so, enforcement. Yeah, that's thing, that law enforcement. Exposed, they exposed the corruption in in, in in big tech, in media, in government. And yes, you, you nailed it. You know, because the really the, the the kill zone of our future is the minds of our children. And and so if you if you can change the minds of our children, then you can change the future of the country. That's true. And, that was, and I was going to. I was oh, going to add law enforcement. Well, Curtis, you, hang you on see just a second. Because Curtis, Curtis, hang on just a second, because when you talk about right. the education, that that idea was actually implemented by Hitler when he formed kindergarten. His idea was get the children away from the family early and let government do mm-hmm. the education. And when they formed mm-hmm. the public education system, they kindergarten model that Hitler used and brought it here to the United yeah. States. And this has been going well, on here now for the, since the 1960s with the Department of Education. Yeah, and that's why you know, they, the, the radical left is really, you know, what they've done is they've perfected their system within our university system, and they want to take that down you know, in the uh, elementary levels and preschool levels. And, and it, it's, you know, it, that, that's where, that's why they're so opposed to school choice, to homeschooling and other options, because they want to be able to, to capture as much of the population in order to indoctrinate them. Yeah. Now, Curtis, go on about the law enforcement. Well, in the speech I gave last night up in Jacksonville, um, I started out by saying, um, if you want to rebuild something that's already existing, you need to tear it down. And that seems to be what the the left is doing with our, you know, our culture, our traditions, our society. And when it comes to law enforcement, they have made it so difficult for people who want to get into law enforcement to go into that field because they have practically made demons out of um, law enforcement, you know, personnel. And I believe there's a, um, there's a purpose for them doing this, and that is so that when we no longer have the adequate um, numbers of police to, to ensure our safety and protection, the government can step in and form a national police um, enforcement exactly. agency. It's everything about them is nationalizing, and that so that's is right. what a lot of people realize. That's right, and well, that's that, that's completely counter to our traditions of 
state and local rule, which, you know, at the foundation of the Constitution. Well, Commander, if you remember correctly, back in the uh, under uh, Bubba Clinton, um, they attempted to do some way of the federal government controlling all of law enforcement with community policing. We will give you these federal dollars if you initiate community policing, which law enforcement mm-hmm. agencies across the nation just scoffed up. And back then, as an NYPD cop, I watched it happen. I said, why are we doing this? You're allowing the federal government to dictate how we run New York City as police officers. And they're doing it time and time again. There's always that little carrot at the end of the stick. But what is the prize you get? It's now more and more federal control. And we no longer have a Congress that sticks to the enumerated powers in the Constitution of Teen Powers. So when you get to Congress, we we have seen legislation being put forward, but it never succeeds to having where you must state where in the Constitution allows you in Congress and the Senate to pass these laws, to make these exactly. regulations, to form these agencies. Show me in the Constitution well, where it is. Exactly. And thank goodness, you know, the Supreme Court, you know, spoke about that with respect to these uh, bureaucrats imposing these environmental restrictions that are impacting, you know, Americans financially and corporations. And, and, and you know, that's what, you know, I say I'm a constitutional conservative. The Constitution is our guide. And I also... I'm a firm advocate, like our great governors, like Governor DeSantis, who's reminded the United States people throughout the country that states' rights matter and local rule matters, but within the bounds of the Constitution. You know, you always have to caveat it within within the bounds of the Constitution because uh, there are people in California that that say, oh, well, if we want states' rights and local rule, then we should be able to do this, like take away your weapons or whatever, right? But no, we 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 have to we have to respect states' rights and local rule within the bounds of the Constitution. The Constitution is our nation's birth certificate, but it's also our operating order, and that should be our guide for everything that we do in Washington. No, because it states deliberately in the uh, in the Bill of Rights that those that are not enumerated in the Constitution that are not enumerated in the Constitution, are then regulated to the states. So enumerated in the Constitution is the right to bear arms. So the states cannot take that away from you, which rightly the Supreme Court has adhered to. Now we have to go after them for uh, the January 6th people because that's violation of the Constitution where they're sitting there all this time without bail, without trial. Everyone's entitled to due process. Right. Exactly. And going back to the Second Amendment, the Second Amendment and, and, and what I people ask me about it, and it, it's an insurance policy against tyranny, plain and simple. You know, it's an insurance policy against tyranny. And there's no elected, appointed or government official who has the authority to infringe upon your constitutional rights, period. Ah, but the left will tell you, but it's for the greater good. The greater mm-hmm. good of whom? To, uh, to right. advance your socialistic agenda or to protect the well, individual yeah. freedom and can, and can keep the republic intact. Right. And they have, you know, their strategy is incremental uh, advances, right? So what they want is they want incremental advances in, in order to create, establish a precedent for a restriction. And then they take that and they, they continue 
that until the next thing you know is you've lost all those rights. Well, so then when I come back to then, would you advance legislation then to keep to the enumerated powers? Yes. Yes. So, right. We, we need to, to hold firm on respecting the, uh, the enumerated powers and, and, and the Constitution. And it seems, you know, lately that's been the fight. I mean, you have one party, the radical left, is constantly engaged in an assault on individual rights, and they want to federalize and nationalize uh, every power they can think of. And then you have the conservatives who are, who are basically just fighting fighting hard to make sure that our constitutional rights and our, our, our individual rights are not infringed upon. All right, now, to move to a little bit of a different direction, our national security, and that is being assaulted on multiple fronts. You've got uh, exactly. government contractors that are working both sides of the fence. They have contracts with China, uh, Russia, all our enemies, Iran, and yet they also have contracts with us. There's no guarantee that our secrets our, and our technology is not being traded through these contractors. And we have no exactly. way to prevent them from doing that. We have the assault on the military equipment where we contract that out to other countries. The F-35 is a perfect example where they were having mm-hmm. parts being manufactured in, in China. And I've got the Marine Corps Air Station right down the street from me, right here in South Carolina. And these guys were passing out in the cockpit because of the respiratory equipment was being manufactured in China. How do we know they didn't fudge around with it to deliberately cause these planes to crash? And this is something... The steel through the plane uh, shell was being manufactured in China, and there was problems with that. Our equipment is being farmed out. Our contractors are farmed out, and now we have the social engineering and the vax mandate on our military men and women, which is whittling down the morale and the troops. Yes, that's a purge. And you, you, you brought up some very important points that, that because of all the, the other chaos going on, people aren't paying attention to this. And, and I saw this from, you know, I've, I've served in the Pentagon and also as a commander at a forward operating base and 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 as a diplomat, and yes, uh, we have we we have this false perception that in order to get buy-in from some allies, you know, or others, that we need to subcontract components of a weapon system uh, so that you know they they will buy. A, I mean, we we really need to take a close look at our procurement laws, and and we really for when it comes to national security, I think it goes beyond just the hardware uh, that we're procuring, but also, I mean, our energy security. I I wrote an op-ed about how we need to designate our energy sector as a national security asset to make it immune from some of these different um, initiatives that are disrupting the, you know, the steady and cheap flow of energy from the United States. And then also we need to designate our agriculture industry as a national security asset. We have the Chinese who are coming in, and buying, they bought one of our largest meat producers. Uh, they are buying up farmland in North Dakota and all around the country near sensitive military facilities. This is something that we can't, you can't go to China and buy farmland near sensitive facilities. Like, we have to really accept the fact that we are at war with China. China has been, a, you know, Chinese, if you read Sun Tzu, 
he said, you know, the, the, Supreme Art, Art, the Supreme Art of War is to subdue the enemy without a fight. And that's what China has been doing for the last several decades. And, and they, are, they, are, they are subduing us without a fight. And, and their Belt and Road Initiative, where they're building the, uh, the, the largest um, infrastructure in the world to support the mobilization, mobilization of their military around the world, and it's being financed by third world countries in exchange for uh, their earth, their rare earth minerals and energy. Uh, and they just negotiated a deal with the, the Saudis and OPEC countries to be able to buy oil and gas in Chinese yuan. So, you know, we've seen things in the last couple of years here in the United States that we never imagined we would see. The one thing that we haven't seen yet is the collapse of the dollar, which could be coming. Uh, with this administration, I, we've knocked out. Go ahead, Curtis. Commander, do you think this is like the best opportunity for China to consider reclaiming Taiwan because of our weak um, president? Yes. I mean, I think, and, and so, you know, in my last assignment uh, in NATO, I was a NATO-Russia-Ukraine expert and advisor. I was one of the first U.S. guys into Ukraine after uh, Russia went in the first time. But I can tell you this, that uh, the one thing, if, if, if President Trump was president, uh, Russia would have never gone into Ukraine because the, the, they were developing their deterrent cape. They were getting the lethal aid and the training and everything that that was holding them off. What this weak administration has done in our disastrous pullout in Afghanistan, that was basically a wake-up call to all of our adversaries that, hey, you know, we can do whatever we want. I mean, if the if if the Afghan if if after 20 years uh, of being entrenched in Afghanistan, uh, the Taliban can take the country in two days without a shot being fired, and the U.S. tucks its tail between its legs and leaves, um, you know that that emboldened Putin to go into Russia, and and the Chinese have already made a deal, and they're applying their lessons learned in in what they will be doing in. Um, in Taiwan, and I think they're going to see they're going to see that their window of opportunity is going to be between these midterms and the uh, the, the 2024 election, and so things are going to get really even more dangerous, I think, and hot uh, with respect to Taiwan and Chinese pushing back. Yeah, we're going to be in for a very very rough time, and. I'm telling people, hey, buckle up because it is going to be a very bumpy ride. And, and, and I, it's not just not just Asia. So we have look within our own hemisphere, we have six failed states. I mean, we have we have Venezuela, we have Cuba, we have um, Bolivia. We have these failed states within our own hemisphere that have become closer to China. They've become closer to Iran, um, and. You know, they're, you know, the Chinese have, uh, uh, in, Hond- in, in Honduras, um, there's a new prime minister that makes AOC look like Joe Manchin, and she's openly said that the Chinese can utilize the facilities that the U.S. built there years ago um, in, in uh, Sotocano, you know, which is one of our largest Air Force facilities that we had built up in the mountains outside of Tegucigalpa. I've operated out of there. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have some serious issues, and we really need to be positioned. The U.S. should be leading the divestment 
from China, the global divestment from China. And the, we only see a few congressmen and senators speaking about this. Senator Scott speaks about it frequently. Uh, John Cotton speaks about it. Uh, Marco Rubio speaks about it. Mike Waltz speaks about it a lot. But nobody's paying attention because there's so many other crazy things going on. That's just sort of a back burner uh, issue for a lot of people. Well, you know, Benjamin Smith sent me a map one time after I was talking to him, and it, it hit me like a, a two-by-four against the head because when we uh, withdrew from Afghanistan, we opened up a corridor for China to go through Afghanistan and then through all the Middle East. So now exactly. China has has control over a rising caliphate in the Middle, Middle East. And exactly. we're going to see a huge, huge explosion coming from that area, aided by China. But uh, Commander, exactly. people can find you minerals, as rare earth minerals are the most important thing right now. And, and Afghanistan has billions of dollars worth of rare earth minerals, but also beyond Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, which is the size of Europe with one-tenth the population, is the same thing. It, it, and, and so China, China has its eyes on that. Um, and uh, they are positioning themselves all around the world. Uh, they've been buying up key infrastructure nodes, and they've been colonizing. You know, so when the Chinese send 10,000 workers to Angola to build some bridges and some port facilities, those, they're staying. You know, the Chinese yeah. are also engaged in birth, birth tourism in the United States. And they send thousands of thousands of people here to the United States to to be born and get a U.S. passport. Exactly, exactly. But we're out of time with you, Commander. People can find you, your campaign, at your last name, Grimes.gop, G-R-I-M-E-S dot G-O-P, 15th District. They can help support your campaign, even if they don't live in Florida. They can at least make you know send you $5 to help you with it. And I wish you good luck, and we'll have to have you come back on. There's so much more look, to talk about. I'm looking forward to it. There's so much more to talk about, and thank you for doing your good work as citizens and keeping the people informed. So I, I commend you for that. And CS, I'm looking forward to seeing you again real soon, too. Well, CS seemed to have dropped out, so hopefully you'll go back into okay. the show. Well, <laughs> in any case, yeah, thank you for having me on, and I'm looking forward to coming on again. Grimes.gop. Uh, okay, you. God bless Take care. All right, check out Commander Dimitri Andrew uh, Grimes, his website, grimes.gop. We've got our next victim in on the show here. He's coming out with a brand-new book that will hopefully be released later this year called Postcards Through Hell. And I know I'm going to mess up the last name, but I'm going to try it anyway. Alan Chason. Did I say it correctly? Yes, ma'am. You sure did. Thank you. Ah, I did, I did something right today. I'm patting myself on the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm used, to, I'm used to name assassination, so it's not a problem. <laughs> well, of course, with my last name, that's very easy to do all the time. So don't feel so bad. Yeah, I believe right. we have uh, my, my co-author, Ed Ford, is on the line as well. Oh, all right. Is that the other number that's been sitting up there? Uh, let's see if we can pull him up. And is this Ed Ford? Yes, it is. Ah, Hello. all right. I didn't know. I didn't expect you to call in. So, welcome aboard. Oh, thank you. All right. Um, you two got together uh, and came up with this idea on writing this book 
Uh, tell us how you got together. Oh, well, really, it uh, comes down to we worked together in Baghdad in 2005 on the Shark Teams. I was with the Crucible team that was training the Shark Teams, and Al was one of the medics assigned to one of the Shark Teams. That's where we met. And then, uh, yeah, he was a real good medic. And then when we got over to Afghanistan, we needed a medic, a lead medic. So Al was like one of the first ones we got over there to fill that billet after one of the teams got hit and uh, they had some uh, injuries. Uh, That's when we decided that uh, there is a need for actual medics here and a medical program within within our uh, convoy program. And... uh, well, now, you both are were military, but now you're working as government contractors, correct? Yeah, during the time the book was written, we were government contract. We were civilian contractors working for uh, uh, the State Department and DOD. Okay, go ahead. Well, the State Department uh, does primarily uh, a PSD work, which we did in, in Iraq, and then when we went over to Afghanistan and started doing convoy ops, it was uh, farmed out by the Department of Defense, primarily to what? deliver. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to ask, what was PSD? Uh, personal Security Detachment or Detail. Okay. All right. And that that, that job was to provide uh, uh, high risk, uh, close protection to to um, VIPs, government officials, uh, et cetera. Now, you ended up being also. Pony Express, right? When we when we started doing the, the uh, mobile operations for convoy in Afghanistan, we were delivering primarily mission critical supplies, uh, fuel, ammunition, et cetera, to uh, uh, operational detachment alpha locations throughout Afghanistan. But eventually, um, there was a need to deliver United States mail, so we we signed a separate contract for that, and eventually became known as the Pony Express. Now, here you are, you're, you're civilian contractors. You don't have the same equipment and backing as a military, but yet you're going through some of the baddest lands out there. Um, how come the rest of us, the American public, doesn't know or at least assume that you're a bunch of hot dogs, you're adrenaline junkies, but that's not the truth, is it? No, I, we, you know, we get mixed up with... Uh, uh, terminology like mercenaries and soldiers for hire, um, but it, you know it, that that occupation evolved over time um, from the original executive outcomes, and uh, we became known as uh, security contractors. But a lot of people still use those old monikers. Well, here you are. You go. You're driving through unforgiving territories. You don't have. If you're going through there, do you tell the local units that you're where you're traversing, do they give you any sort of a backup to, so you can bring these supplies and the mail to them? Depends on the, uh, it depends on the uh, site that we're going to. I know one time uh, we had to go to Organi to uh, do a drop, and just turns out that we used to run that route all the time with no prior coordination with the Army. And then uh, back in April 2010, I took a bad, my lead vehicle took a bad hit, and I lost a couple guys, and, more and like two guys killed and uh, three more were wounded, and it took us three hours to get out of there, driving out of there because uh, 
nobody would come in to get us out or uh, help us out. Then it was after that, we said, all right, what we're going to do is coordinate with the Army, find out when they're doing their route, because the Army did regular missions through that valley. Mm -hmm. And all all we had to do now was just find out when were they going through that valley and just coordinate with them. And because I know the second time I had to go back through that valley, I mean, I wasn't enjoying it, but... I had uh, done all my coordination with the uh, platoon commander for the uh, route clearance uh, platoon. And as soon as we rolled in there, I saw him. I shook his hand. I said, yeah, we talked on the phone. And then right then and there, he got on the radio, talked to the uh, Apache helicopters. They said, yep, they got you guys on visual. And, I mean, that was like the safest I felt in that valley. (laughs) Because, I mean, the Army knew we were there. They had their Apaches looking out for us. I mean, it was pretty nice. I mean, once you you you, you had to yeah. have the ability to coordinate and uh, talk to the uh, talk to the army uh, or the uh, in the U.S. military, so that way they would, uh, if they could, they would help you out. It'd be like, all right, we're already here. We're going to keep an eye on you. Anything happens, we'll come and get you. So now, that was there. Now, what was the rule of engagement that you were allowed to have? Because you're not military, so you had to be under a different. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of the exactly. word. They, well, they, the they rules for the use of force, or the rules for the use yeah. of escalation of force, which is called the rough. The military used the rules of engagement, which was called the row, and um, ours just involved a, a couple of extra steps process where we had to to show that we intended to shoot. Uh, we had to shout at him. We had to, to hail, uh, use uh, pen flares or, or anything to, to give him an indication that we had those intentions. And eventually we would um, shoot to disable the vehicle and then we'd finally end up shooting to kill. Well, it sounds very similar to what the military, you, th- you throw things at them. <laughs> hey, gee, they're not going to throw the tin can back at you. They're going to be throwing some bullets at you instead. And they won't be coming at the same slow velocity. Uh, now, as you had mentioned, Ed, that you had lost some guys, uh, but we recognize the the military when there is a loss of life. But what happens when you do lose the guys? Is there government compensation? Does anyone recognize you for the heroism? Or you just pushed aside and said, all right, well, you did your job, and that's part of the, the job. There is compensation through the uh, DBA, the Defense Base Act, for that's the insurance plan we roll under. Uh, so you're, if, if, if you're killed, there's an outright payment for the family. Uh, if you're injured, uh, there's a medical plan set up for you to where either, A, you recover, or B, uh, and you go back to full duty, or B, uh, you're medically, uh, there's a medical... You, you, you get a medical uh, disability rating from uh, the DBA, and then they usually uh, cut you a check. Uh, I think we only had two guys that were actually honored. Uh, yeah, yeah. They they were two Americans, and uh, a couple of other guys that were killed were third country nationals, and they were treated like cargo. And then, of course, our local nationals, they fell under, uh, uh, you know, Muslim ritual uh, burial guidelines, uh, you know, had to be buried within 24 hours, and, and, and the family preferred to do a lot of private private stuff uh, with that. But in terms of recognition, no. In terms of compensation, yes. 
Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. like uh, we're going to get bronze stars or anything like that. That uh, or purple hearts. We don't. Uh, you, we look at it like, hey, well, that's why we get the bigger paychecks. So no. Well, now you guys got together to write this book. Now, you also talk about the book, The 13 Hours of Benghazi. And we've done a dedication to that. We've had um, shows that we've done on it. But you were part of that, weren't you? Oh, not not at all. Uh, That's a comparable book. um, Those guys were contractors uh, that were working for the CIA. And... um, the, they have a, a, a ground branch or special activities division with, in part of the CIA. And uh, we, we mentioned that only because it's very few books that were done on civilian contractors. And that's, that's the reason 13 Hours was brought into the picture. Now, their their, their the... book involved the single battle that lasted 13 hours. Our book involves several enemy contacts over a three-year period. Wow. Wow. So what are some of the stories that people can look forward to in the book? Well, uh, I mean, the storyline follows. Uh, yeah, <laughs> All right, let's, let's start with Alan first, then Ed. Let's try that, okay? It's, it's Ed's story. Um, it, it's, it's a lot about, uh, you know, his transition from uh, team leader to, uh, um, to operations manager to program manager, uh, and he basically had all the uh, the mission specs, and we just created a timeline from from the point where we had started working until we ended up uh, uh, going end of mission, which was around 2012. The contract actually lasted until 2016, but um, there were some portions of the missions that were classified, so we uh, we didn't talk about anything after 2012. Um, there's a lot of historical perspective in the book. Um, it you know. Basically, it's Ed's story about how, you know, he survived uh, multiple contacts. He lost guys. Things got to get uh, really, really bad um, in terms of the number of contacts. We ended up shifting over to uh, running missions at night. We ran out. Uh, we ran missions that were blacked out. Um, and, and the level of danger at the height of the war was just, uh, you know, we, we eventually became targets ourselves with, uh, with a bounty on our, on our heads and, and um, we just kept pushing through. Wow. I mean, these are all things that he, the public has no idea of what you guys are going through. Um, the book, when is it scheduled to come out? October 21st of 2022. So this is coming out in just a couple of more months. So definitely I'm going to have to get a copy of it and get both of you guys back on. But, um, Ed, you talk about some of the stuff that you go through, and since I haven't read the book, I'm just trying to patch the pieces together. Um, you guys, like the regular military, well, you were military, um, also yeah. now have to, when you come back here to the United States, it's a whole new transition. You know, you guys suffer from PTSD, from injuries, and all the government does is cut you a check and say, have a nice life? Yeah, if you qualify for the check, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I mean, that that, that was like, uh, uh, some people would refer to us as the plausible di- deniability. I mean, we're not actually military, so when we became casualties, it really wasn't like headline news. Um, I, I think the only reason the Benghazi uh, battle became headline news was because they lost the ambassador there. 
So uh, I think if, uh, if if they didn't lose Ambassador Stevens, I mean, it would never have gotten the uh, recognition that it, it, it would have got that it received already. Yeah. So it sounds like a very, very exciting book. And as you said, it comes over a three-year period. Um, yeah. What's some some of the highlights you want to tell people about? Oh, geez. You know, I mean, uh, number one, this is the business side of war that you've got to look at. Uh, you know, war is a huge business. And, you know, uh, me and Al were like on the lower end of that pay spectrum there. And uh, we, we were making good money, too. Uh, so it, it is a business. And, uh, yeah, at times, you know, you're dealing with the politics because, you know, corporate wants to turn a profit. We got to work well with the, the clients, the locals, and with the military in order to keep rolling. And if we need help, that they'll help us out. Uh, that's cause that, that, that's the big thing there, uh, you know. And that, that and plus, I mean, honoring our fallen, you know, the guys that we lost. I mean, you know, you know I mean, we just want to make sure that they that that, that they're remembered. Yeah, there, Ken guys, um, KIA in a three-year period, and um, you know, uh, aside from honoring our our fallen, is we want to we you know we want people to know about the the brotherhood that we shared while we were there, and and uh, I mean, there's even a few funny stories about things that happened, uh, you know, in, in war. It's it's kind of weird because they got to have this little sick sense of humor uh, just to just to stay sane a lot yeah. of times. Yeah, stuff that we thought was funny would have a fly hair. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I kind of I understand that, you know, uh, having gone to some crime scenes, you know, your, your sense of humor is a little bit different than the civilian <laughs> sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, I remember doing watching an autopsy and turning around to my partner said, as they pull out the intestines, go, how about spaghetti for lunch? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. A few years. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna look back on that like, wow, did I really say that? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. There, there, oh. there's a lot of uh, historical uh, perspective as well. While we were there, things things that had happened that had made, um, you know, international news. Uh, we were we were on the fringe of that. That you know the uh, we delivered a lot of mail over to uh, coast. And um, that's where uh, the CIA had lost uh, all their guys um, at that bomb. And it was, we were there like a, a week before that bombing had happened. They wouldn't let us on the base at all. Um, and we ended up doing our, our transition. We, we dropped our, our cargo on the outside of the base. They came out and got it. That's how secure that base was. And then, you know, we leave. And then all of a sudden this, this uh, um Triple spy is allowed on board, and, and he detonates an IED that that kills uh, seven or eight uh, CIA guys. You know those those things are those things are mentioned um, in the book because of the relevance to where we were at the time those things happened. You know, I, I'm dying to read it because all you did was just a brief summary of the uh, the chapters, which really you know you you try to piece together what you're trying to tell me. You had some of the most difficult tasks to do because not only were you bringing supplies back and forth, as I understand, you were also doing recon 
which is where you ended up with a bounty on your head. Right. Uh, we, they, a lot of times they, they never knew we were coming, but they, they knew we were coming back, you know? So we, 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 we call it time, place, predictable. And we try to run our missions uh, in early hours. We don't do it. We don't leave at the same time. We don't leave on the same route. We just try to mix things up, you know, just to keep them, uh, you know, uh, off balance, so to speak. But they know that we, if we're going one way, we have to return. And so they might uh, miss us on the way up, but they're certainly looking for us on the way back. Wow. Now, you just try to do things like time it through the Ramadan, like, when they were all breaking their fast, because they didn't eat all day. So when they are all breaking their fast, boom, that's when you push out and roll out. So that way you can, while they're all eating, you're getting out of their way. You're getting out, you're getting out of the area. So, now, yeah, did you, you work, a little bit like that. Did you also work with other multinational uh, units too? Uh, well, we had uh, Serbs that worked with us. Uh, they were civilian contractors. We had some Fijians, and of course, we had the uh, lo- uh, our locals. They they were pretty much the gunners up on the uh, turrets. And how were you um, your reception with the locals? Uh, it depends. I mean, it, it would just depend on your ability to talk with them, uh, shake their hands, uh, be polite. Never turn uh, your back. Yeah, you don't turn your back. That's the big thing there, though. Uh, I think uh, um, in order to conduct business, you have to have um, a relationship with an Afghan-owned company, and and so they 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 buy into it for the purpose of uh, expediting paperwork and, and obtaining uh, weapons authorizations, vehicle purchases, um, operations, uh, um, security operations. Uh, uh, certificates and uh it kind of moves your 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 pile to the top as opposed to having to wait for all these things to occur when we wanted to buy vehicles uh in country uh having having uh the they call it SOC A which was the Afghanistan portion of of the company um that would actually have connections that would move that paperwork towards the pot we we had to pay a little bit extra money to get it done but at least we got our vehicles you know Alan. Go ahead, Curtis. I, I just had a quick question. Uh, I just wanted to know because we've been in in country um, for many years now. Do you think we're making a difference? Not at all. I mean, in the short term, yeah, there were there were a lot of operations that were successful to some point, but then once it transitions over to control, uh, everything just reverts back to its traditional um, values. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you push the Taliban out, you leave, the Taliban comes right back in. So nothing really changes over a longer period of time. Well, now, when yeah, you were I mean, writing this book, while you guys are writing this book, what's your emotion when you watched the fall of Afghan? Oh, well, I mean, gosh, man. Uh, yeah, it was... yeah, it was something else. Uh, I mean, for those of us who were outside the wire, we uh, we're working with the locals. We, I mean, you saw it come. Uh, I remember before I left country in December 2012, I ran into a buddy of mine, RSO, at the embassy. And we were just sitting down having lunch at the embassy. And uh, he, I mean, we're talking. I was like, yeah, man, when we leave six months, it's going back to the Taliban. 
And they're like looking at me like, oh, dude, aren't you the optimist? Six months, more like six weeks. So we, we, we all saw this coming. However, we should have had a better plan and probably another airfield opened up, which was more strategically uh, placed for that, uh, for, for the withdrawal. We should have a better yeah. plan to get all our people out because they're finding out now that, if I'm not mistaken, about well, 50% of the people we pulled out of there had no business being on that airplane. And we still have our interpreters still stuck in that country and hiding. And what they're doing yeah. now is they're starting them out. And, and of course, the, the, the Taliban is not going to stop looking for them. That's for sure. No. And so no. they have to, they have to keep on running, keep on running. Um, and yep. the equipment alone, what we handed them was a gold mine of equipment. Oh yeah. I mean, let's just talk about that height system, the system that they use to scan your retinas. The Taliban, they they know how to use that now, and I mean that's all they got to do when they want to uh, do a sweep. To scan everybody's retina, and if you pop up on a database, you know you're going to have to answer some real tough questions. Well, that's the whole thing so. too. All the intelligence that we left behind. Why don't we just turn around mm-hmm. and say, "Well, forget it. You know, we're just going to admit complete defeat. America is now part of the Taliban." Yeah, that's right basically what they said. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was frustrating to watch. I mean. Because, I mean, like I said, we could have had a better plan, and, uh, and this administration owned that plan for seven months before, uh, so they, they, they should have had a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C, but they had none of that. I mean, they just went, they, they just went with the flow. Wow. You now, know, in, and in uh, book... the Pony Express, Go ahead. The Pony Express uh, ended in December 24th of 2016, but we still had brothers Pony Express members that were still on the ground in Afghanistan during that withdrawal, and that was our concern. We were figuring out a way to try to get them out as well. There were people calling um, favors. They were calling up connections. They were just trying to to help out because they needed an exit strategy as well, and they were stuck just like everybody else. So, um, you know, it affected us. uh, It affected us in that way. Now, were you able to get everyone out eventually? Uh, well, some Afghans. guys didn't choose. Some guys didn't choose to come out. They, some guys stayed uh, uh, and working other contracts. They stayed in country. They they maintained a low profile. Other guys were able to get out to different countries. Not uh, not so much like they were coming. They were trying to get into America. They were just trying to get out of Afghanistan by whatever means. You know, whether it went whether they went back home or whether they went to another country, uh, that that's a whole different story. Wow. I mean, it's a very fascinating and interesting book, and I can't wait for it to come out. Um, so definitely have to send me a copy so I can read it and get you guys back on. Uh, there's a character that you do introduce in Chapter 26, Andy Langley. Uh, tell us about him. <laughs> Man, he was uh, Andy, that's, he was that's, a that's former... probably one of the toughest guys you'll ever meet. Yeah. He was a former Marine, a Vietnam vet, and uh, after his time in the Marine Corps, he went over to then Rhodesia. Uh, he was a Rhodesian SAS. He was also Salute Scout. And uh, there's a picture of him with one of, like, the first captured Soviet PKM machine guns. And uh, he's, he's real proud of that. I was like, oh, yeah, I was there when we captured the first PKM machine gun. Uh, 
Then after uh, Rhodesia, he went to El Salvador, worked for uh, some folks over in El Salvador. Uh, and then after that, I mean, yeah, yeah I think he's settled down now. He's, he's got it all out of the system. But, uh, uh, no, and then he did competitive shooting here in this, in this country, too, for a while. Uh, I think uh, well, he was one, point, one I point that one point, in, he was in like his one career of the top he, Yeah, top five. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> top five in the world. Um Wow. But at one point, he trained the, the Mujahideen when the, when the Russians occupied Afghanistan. He was actually over there uh, training their fighters, and, and those fighters ended up turning out to be uh, um, Taliban later on in the, in the picture. So. Yeah, and it's, it's a culture that we in the West don't understand, and we end up getting ourselves involved in these things without even realizing what we're putting ourselves into and not even having a safe exit strategy. I mean, you leave a whole vacuum in the government, and what do you expect is going to happen? It's going to revert to what they traditionally are accustomed to. And they don't understand our values, and we don't understand theirs. So why are we trying to impose our, our values on them? Yeah. And uh, there was a, a basic need for democracy at one point, uh, because of the level of cor- corruption that was involved, and I know that that you know there's there's always cries for help, and and uh, if, you know from a humanitarian perspective, I would understand the need to be there. Uh, obviously, what happened in uh, in uh, with the World Trade Center, uh, which was the pivotal point for uh, going to Afghanistan in the first place, just never predicted it was going to last as long as it did. It's it's America's longest lasting war. Well, actually, I think you can still say the Korean War because we've never had a peace treaty. But the active war, I would say, the war I would say would be Afghanistan. But still, uh, still without a treaty would be Korea. Now, you also gave homage to your wives and families in the book, which I find very touching. People tend to forget about the people back home. You know, truthfully, we we did too uh, when this. After we put the book together and it, we were in an editorial process, one of the things came up about, you know, where's the female perspective? And, and Ed and I kind of looked at each other like, well, we didn't have any girls on the contract. You know, what are you talking about? And, and, and our editor is the one that brought it to, to light. She, she said, well, what about, you know, how did your wives feel about you being gone? And, and what about the mothers of, of the guys that were killed in action? And, and, and so we, we conducted several interviews, you know, after that, that crit critique that we got and uh, actually added that chapter in there only only to offer that perspective. You know, we never even thought about it. Yeah, well, it's kind of sad. It's hindsight 2020, but uh, um, it was true. And she's the one that uh, that uh, opened the door for us in, that, in, in terms of that perspective. So very grateful. Well, you, you know, guys, the book is called Postcards Through Hell. Uh postcardsthroughhell.com is the website. It's coming out, as you said, in October. So i got to get a copy and get both of you back. Ed Ford, Alan Chasen, thank you so much, and God bless you, and good luck on the release. All right, oh, thank, thank you. we got a book with your name thank on very it. very much. All right, make sure you sign it. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I sure will. Okay. All right. Thanks for having Ed us. Ford, Bye. Thank you.
Ed Ford, Alan Chase, and Postcards Through Hell dot uh, com. Check it out. And we've got our final victim, my favorite guy over at the uh, Heritage Foundation, Hans von Spakovsky. Hans, welcome back once again. How are you today? Uh, well, you're a glutton for punishment today since you invited me back on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know it's only on Friday, baby, only on Friday. I'm always welcoming to you. And then, you know, I had the um, movie 2,000 Mules uh, for my tea party, and I played it, and that was eye-opening. And these are things that you and I have been talking about, about the election fraud that has been going on, and it's slowly and surely starting to come to light, and people are realizing uh, we do have a problem with our elections. Is anything going to change or or secure our election coming up in the midterm, or are we still in a lot of hot water here? Oh, no, we're much better off. The reason being that, uh, look, it's been two years since the 2020 election, and the one good thing that came out of the 2020 election was a lot of state legislators and a lot of members of the public finally realized what I've been talking about for years, which is that there are holes in the security of our election process that need to be fixed. And as a result, about two dozen states passed extensive uh, election reform bills, make, making uh, some really good improvements. Uh, they did that in 2021. Uh, they've also done it this year. I don't know if you saw, but uh, Missouri just passed an extensive voter ID law, for example, that includes voter ID. <clears throat> Pennsylvania uh, just had a bill that actually convinced the uh, Democratic governor of the state to sign that bans Zuck Bucks, you know, private funding of local mm-hmm. election uh, uh, officials. And so uh, all in many places around the country, I'd say more than half of the states, Things things are much better, and we're we're we have security that's been improved in the election process. Well, I know here in South Carolina, we managed to change a lot of the election laws, we actually secure them a little bit better. Uh, that's right. Still, yeah. So we we've been actually my county GOP was in the forefront because we put together all the information and the package went up to Columbia, sat down with the GOP leaders and said, hey, this is what you're proposing, but here are your loopholes, and this is where we propose you plug them up. So our county here in Buford was very, very instrumental in changing it here in South Carolina, and I'm proud of the guys and gals that work with them because they're all friends of mine. Yeah, no, listen, South Carolina scores very highly in the election integrity scorecard that the Heritage Foundation has put together um, that basically grades every single state on how good or how bad their laws are when it comes to uh, uh, protecting the fairness and honesty of the election. Like I said, South, South Carolina is definitely in the top rank of states. Well, actually, tomorrow I will be up in Columbia because it's our state convention. So when I see Drew McKissick, who happens to be a friend of mine, I'll tell him you said that and make put a smile on his face. <laughs> <How's that? laughs> Yeah. Now, you recently wrote an article about a um, Pamela Carlin. Who is she, and why should we be worried about her? Yeah, I just couldn't believe it when I saw the news about this. Um, 
Look, the the U.S. Justice Department has basically been weaponized by Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, <clears throat> to target the political uh, enemies of Democrats and Joe Biden. And uh, for over 17 months, so really for the first two years of the um, Biden administration, uh, the Civil Rights Division, that's the, one of the biggest divisions inside the Justice Department, and that is the division that enforces all of our federal voting rights laws, uh, along with other laws barring discrimination. And for a lot, lot, a lot of that time, it was being run by the woman who was the number two in that department because the, the position, the, the number one position, requires Senate confirmation and it took quite a while before uh, they finally got someone confirmed in that position. So she basically was the power running the Civil Rights Division. She's the one, Pam Carlin, who was responsible for the um, frivolous, meritless lawsuits that the just, U.S. Justice Department has filed against Georgia for its passage of its election reforms, against Texas for its passage of its election reforms, and the lawsuit, uh, and if you could believe this, that they just filed against Arizona. You know why? Because Arizona passed a law requiring election officials to do what? Verify the citizenship of registered voters. And the U.S. <laughs> Justice Department has filed a suit saying that's discriminatory. Well, yeah, I certainly hope it is because uh, we, we shouldn't be – hopefully it discriminates against aliens who shouldn't be voting. But she's the person responsible for all that. Well. She just resigned from her position, and she resigned one day before the Justice Department turned over documents on her to a, a, a nonprofit group who had filed a Freedom of Information Act request, which revealed, if you can believe this, that the entire time she was a government employee, she continued to receive her million-dollar-a-year salary from Stanford University, where she is a tenured law professor. <laughs> now, didn't some of that salary also end up being donated to Stanford University? Yes, yes, yeah. So the whole time she's making her million-dollar salary from Stanford, her $181,000 salary as a government employee is being donated to Stanford by the Justice Department. I mean, it is, the whole thing is so outrageous, and it raises such ethics and conflict of, uh, of interest issues that I, I just can't believe that this actually happened. But that, that shows you how the Biden administration works. I, I'm hoping that the Inspector General of the Justice Department will actually investigate this uh, because they sure need to. You know, it, it, the same way that we had the NIH uh, scientists and doctors getting uh, royalty from drug companies and, and medical uh, equipment manufacturers to approve their therapies and their medicines, um, which is tantamount to a bribe. She's doing basically the same thing in the DOJ, accepting bribes to subvert the system. Well, I tell you, um, I, I, I agree, and I just, um, 
like I said, I just can't believe this happened. I mean, I believe it happened because this is the, the way the red works. Um, that, uh, 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 but but it's just shocking that this would happen, and nobody's covering it. The the mainstream media couldn't care less about this. Now, you and I both know what what would the uh, headlines be: the New York Times, the Washington Post, if a conservative from some corporate corporate entity, or even from a university, some conservative. Uh, had worked in the in the Trump administration, just part while earning a million dollars sal- a year salary. It would have been screaming headlines on page one, but this professor Pam Carlin does it, and um, uh, and nobody nobody cares. No, not at all. And yet she's still teaching, which means she's also still <laughs> yeah. brainwashing our youth. So there's right. no investigation. She's still in a position of influencing policy. And the blind eye is turned to it. So how can we expect an honest, open society if we have people like this subverting it? It's only people like you that, you know, expose it. Right. Well, that's just another sign, really, of how corrupt this administration is. Uh, You know, those kind of claims were made during the Trump administration without justification, but... uh, here, this one, uh, this just just one instance shows how corrupt the uh, the administration is. Um, and if you think it doesn't go all the way to the top, then folks must have missed the fact that just this week, uh, uh, information came out about the fact that Joe Biden, who you know has said repeatedly he knew nothing about the foreign business that his son was doing. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, Andy, that the visitors logs in the White House now show that he met with 14 of mm-hmm. Hunter Biden's business associates while he was the vice president in the White House. Uh, wasn't he photographed playing golf with some of them? Yeah, I think he may have. But but the, the point of that is it's very clear. I mean, talk about corruption. It's very clear that Hunter Biden was using uh, uh, his father's office as vice president, and his father was helping him score business, and make profits, make money, and I think that's the the worst kind of public corruption uh, you can you can see, certainly uh, involving the White House. Wow. Now you're the manager uh, of the Election Law Reform Initiative, and you're still uncovering uh, fraud <laughs> and right. actual crimes, and uh, and all of a sudden we're saying. We're starting to see people start to report on this. Now, I saw something recently that Arizona has just turned around and said something like uh, over 65,000 ballots have been invalidated when Joe Biden took Arizona only by a mere 10,000 votes. But we still have no idea what, whether or not these votes were for Biden or for Trump. Are we ever going to see the truth come out about this? Uh, probably not. Um, I think it would take law enforcement investigations to determine the credibility of those kind of claims, and no one seems to have any interest in in doing that. No, no, because uh, in here are some of the cases you list. You have a Kimberly McPherson out of Troy, New York, who was city council, 
you think an elected official would have some integrity? Oops, wait a minute, I forgot. That's an oxymoron. Elected official <laughs> and integrity should not be in the same sentence. No, and she was uh, convicted of, um, in her reelection, casting absentee ballots for voters. <laughs> and, you know, um, for those who say, oh, this is just, this is rare. You know, this doesn't happen all the time. Uh, in in 2014, four residents of this, including another member of the city council and the city clerk, were also convicted of the same kind of thing, forging the signatures of voters and submitting fraudulent absentee ballots. The same behavior 10 years later, almost 10 years later, that is still going on in Troy. And by the way, This should be no surprise because at the time, back in 2014, one of the individuals who was convicted, who was a local Democratic campaign consultant, said that this kind of absentee ballot fraud was, quote, a normal political tactic in local elections. Yeah, Anthony DeFiglio, a local committee. Yeah. You also had a former Democratic U.S. rep, Michael Ozzie Myers, with over 13 felonies. This guy, this is yeah. this guy's a real piece of work. He is. He's going to prison after being convicted of of uh, voter fraud, bribery, and a number of other things. And uh, that should be familiar to him because it'll be the second time he went to prison. Uh, he was a a congressman from Pennsylvania. He was a Democratic congressman, and uh, he was thrown out of Congress in 1980 when he was convicted in the Abscam sting. Um, mm-hmm. If you and I are old enough to remember that, your listeners might not, but folks oh, may, oh, oh, may oh, remember. Oh, oh, oh. You're, you're, you're putting a woman's age out there. Shame oh, on you, sorry. huh? sorry. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the FBI, you know, set up a sting operation that netted several members of Congress. They had somebody playing a fake Arab sheik who was offering bribes in order to get votes on certain bills before Congress. And this guy, Myers, was one of the guys char- uh, who accepted the money. So he went to prison and was thrown out of Congress. Well, when he came out of prison, he became a political consultant. And he now has um, <laughs> pleaded guilty to 13 felonies. And what he was doing was he was bribing election chiefs, the people who are the uh, uh, officials who run precincts, polling places in Philadelphia, he was bribing them to stuff bogus ballots into the uh, ballot box on behalf of his clients, which were um, candidates at the local, state, and even federal level. And this went on in multiple elections. Two of the Precinct uh, polling uh, polling place uh, uh, officials, by the way, have also already pleaded guilty to accepting bribes and admitted they stuffed hundreds, if not thousands, of bogus uh, ballots into ballot boxes in in elections in Philadelphia. Mm. But you actually did have an, an election um, overturned. The results from the June 2021 in Compton, California, a runoff election for city council. I actually had an election, you know, overturned. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. And 
you know what that case shows is something that I that I talk about a lot, which is um, so many elections in this country are very close and are only decided by a tiny margin of, of votes. Uh, this city council race in uh, June of 2021 in Compton, California, was decided by one vote, one vote. And um, after the election, uh, half a dozen individuals were indicted for voter registration fraud. They claimed to live in Compton, even though they didn't live there, and absentee ballot fraud, including, by the way, the city councilman who won by one vote. So he won his election due to fraud that he was part of, and uh, all these folks have now pleaded guilty, and the election's been overturned uh, by a local judge. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you, do you know about the ERIC system, the Electronic Registration Information Center? I do. Yeah. Okay. We have been battling that, and our state is a member of it. There are now 31 states that have joined it. Now, it's supposed to help purge and keep clean the election rolls, but it seems to have the exact opposite in most instances. Well, I don't necessarily think that's true. I do think there are some major problems with Eric, but... What I would tell you about that is that, um, look, at the moment, there's no alternative, okay? What ERIC does is the, the, all of the member states send their statewide voter registration list to ERIC. ERIC compares the list, also checks death records, and each state is supposed to get back a report that says, uh, here are the people who are registered in your state who are dead. Here are the people who are registered in your state who are now also registered in other states, which gives the states the ability to investigate that, potentially take people off the list. Like I said, there are problems with the way Eric does its job. There are problems with the people who work at Eric. And I think the states who are members need to demand changes in the way Eric is run and who the personnel are running it. But, at the moment, there's no alternative. There is no other uh, program anywhere in the country that allows states, for example, to compare their statewide list with other states to find people who are registered in two different places. So uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think states necessarily should get out of it. I think what they should do is try to get those changes made. And if those changes are not made, then, yeah, I think um, the state should, uh, should look into creating a new system, a new program, an alternative to ERIC that will do the kind of work that's needed. Yeah, because here in South Carolina in the last election, we passed it where one of the reforms was is that you must purge every year the voter rolls of people that have passed away, people that have moved uh, – and clear that up, people that may be registered in two different areas. And each each uh, county must do that and then go up to the state. So we've initiated it by law, but what system do you use? And if Eric is not reliable, then it's going to be up to us, we the people, to put their feet to the fire and say, hey, listen, obviously there's problems with this Eric. Either you come up with something else, like you said, 
or you force them to change it. And, and I hope you're right, because a lot of people are ringing the bell on Eric and saying it's, it's not a good thing. Well, like I said, at the moment, there's no alternative to it. By the way, there used to be an alternative. <laughs> there was an alternative program. It was called the Kansas-Missouri Interstate Crosscheck System, and it did exactly the same thing. It compared statewide um, voter lists of different states so they could find people who have uh, moved moved away or registered more than one state. But um, that system is no longer in business, and one of the reasons is, is that all these left-wing groups started suing states who were participating to get them to, to, to stop using it because they didn't want states finding people who were registered in more than one state. So, unfortunately, that system is no longer in operation. So, like I said, at the moment, there's no alternative to Eric. Well, then why aren't the blue states suing Eric? Because there's only a handful uh, that are not members of Eric. Well, they I mean, I'm surprised not to participate. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised California, Massachusetts, New York. Yeah. Well, that, that well, means they that they don't want to get any... They don't want any information that will take anybody off their list. So that's why they're not members of ERIC. But then again, you have the state of, uh, I believe it's Massachusetts, that wants to give driver's license to illegals. Well, the next step is voter registration, motor voter, right? Yes. If they don't, if they don't have uh, good precautions in place, then they're not going to be able to keep aliens from registering to vote. But look, that's not just Massachusetts. There's already a dozen and a half states that unfortunately made the decision to give um, driver's licenses to aliens who are in the country illegally. Mm. Well, it's funny because I got my mom a state ID. God bless her. She turned 90 July 4th. And the first time she voted in I can't tell you how many years because she was living in the Virgin Islands and federal elections were not on their thing. Uh, and the first thing they did was motor uh, voter, motor voter with her. You know, check the box and we'll get you registered to vote. And that's a scary thing. That is a very scary thing. Now, here in South Carolina, you're supposed to check whether or not you're an alien, resident alien or not. But there's nothing there to say whether or not you're a resident alien and illegal at the same time. Right. It's it's scary. Right. But they don't it is. in most states they don't do anything to verify when you claim you're a citizen, which is why it's so bizarre. But it's very revealing of the left that uh, mm-hmm. Garland, uh, Merrick Garland Justice Department, the Biden administration is suing Arizona because, in fact, they want to try to verify the citizenship of registered voters. Oh, shame on us! Shame on us that we follow the Constitution. Uh, how dare we! But then again, we had a victory in New York where they said resident aliens cannot vote in the election. That was at least a, a victory in the right step. It, it was. Uh, and that, that's a good thing. It was the city of New York which had passed a local ordinance saying aliens would be able to vote in local elections. And a state court there just recently said, uh, you can't do that. Well, you are working hard to unearth and your heritage foundation does keep a database which is a sampling it's not every single instance and you're doing serious work there but you also wrote a book about it our broken elections that people can find up on amazon correct 
that's right. It's called uh, Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. Well, let's hope we change it the way back. <laughs> And we'll see what happens with this upcoming midterm election, which is, believe it or not, just in a few months. Holy moly, yeah, Hans. It's coming we're going to be in for an interesting ride here. Yeah, we are. It's coming up very fast. And I'm waiting to see what shenanigans the left is going to pull on us in the interim. <laughs> and I wouldn't yeah, even we'll ask see. for predictions. <laughs> right. Well, Hans von Spakowski, it is always fun to have you on <clears> here. And I look forward to the next time you grace us with your presence. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. Hans von Spakowski, you can find him at heritage.org. And Curtis, we're going to have your ambassador friend next week. Mark Tapscott will be back, and Heritage will send us a new guest. So we look forward to having another fun next week. We are back up on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, type in the name of the show, put a space in the middle, Southern Space Sense, capital S on both words, and it should come up and become a member of that page because right now I've got zero subscriptions because I only got it up and running just about two days ago. So I need y'all to go there and sign up on my YouTube page and fight back the censorship. Now, I don't know about South Carolina, but here in Florida, we start our early voting on the 8th of August. When do you guys start? Um, I got to double check. I think it's two weeks before, and I'll—I don't know. I have to let my members know. Usually, it's about two weeks prior. But with that, Curtis, we're down to our last three minutes. So I will sign off with my friend Gary Pecarella, Save America. So until next yeah. Friday, I say good night and God bless. Friends are